Welcome to another session of the Corona Committee, session number 115. We called it self-reliant and we refer to the situation of the self-employed people. Um, you hear about self-employed people that they have to do everything themselves and all the time. And uh, that is uh, what we have been through in the last two years that matches what we all feel with respect to democracy, to our health, to any question in this uh, area, so to say. We have to take care of everything ourselves and uh, get ourselves out of the swamp, so to say, and uh, set things up as we as humans want them. Today, we are still waiting for Rainer to arrive. He had a train delay. Uh, there was some difficulty uh, and he will probably join us at three o'clock. I am in the south myself, uh, meeting with activists in another place around the world, and I'll report on that later on. But for now, we want to welcome our first guest, Professor Martin Schwab. He's a legal professor and a frequent guest with us. He has reported a lot recently about the situation in the administrative court in the Federal Administrative Court in Leipzig uh, with the army officers. And today he's going to talk about the mask issues in schools, which are coming up. The next uh, points are approaching, so to say, and Martin has um, developed something that will help people. Martin. Yes, hello, everybody. Well, what can I say? In some of the federal states, the uh, holidays are about to start and others they're about to finish. We have them staggered. Um, it's a staggered system in Germany, so they don't all have holidays at the same time. And then the question, of course, pops up as to how do we want to design the new school year? Are we going to have mandatory use of masks, mandatory testing? Uh, that was called for at a certain point, but then in April they discontinued the mandatory use of masks and face covering. The same for testing. <clears throat> but the question is, what happens after the summer holidays? How do we continue when the new school year has commenced? And the thing is, we already had prepared some form letters to uh, school boards, school authorities, teachers, uh, headmasters, and we said, you know, don't go along with this. You don't know what you're doing to the kids. And in some cases, uh, that was passed on to uh, the responsible ministries, uh, and then it was the uh, regional governments that looked at these issues, and it was not just the headmasters who were having the shots on that. But uh, the approach of this new form letter is 
is how do you get to have uh, these recommendations, or actually rather their rulings, for the schools, the bylaws? Um, so the ministries of culture and education talk to the associations, the teachers associations, the parents associations. Sometimes they also have student uh, associations. I don't know if they're really uh, involved, but I will speak about that in a minute. However, um, what you can say is this, we are not addressing uh, the school boards or the headmasters who are basically um, receiving orders, but let's talk directly to the ministries or the uh, regional governments. Um, and it could also be the teachers or the parents associations. And. I mean, they're all sitting uh, in the same situation. And of course, everybody wants to have a regular um, school procedure. And uh, the teachers must understand that they are responsible for the health of the students and not the other way around. The reason why we did this form letter is that uh, there was a press release of the Teachers Association in Mar of March in 22, Mr. Heinz-Peter Meiniger, he is the president, that the German government uh, and um, the parliament should definitely consider a legal basis for mandatory use of face coverings of masks. And uh, now you even heard that uh, they published this in the Spiegel interview, <coughs> the rules for quarantine should be reinstated and that uh, you would have the uh, problem an epidemic that is uh, so strong that we cannot control it anymore and that all the kids get it. So let's see what uh, the situation can give us when we look at the documents in Germany. 92% have antibodies for uh, SARS-2 COVID. So whatever uh, the teachers were afraid of has turned out to be a reality some time ago. So everybody is in fact, uh, has been infected uh, with that. And even if you have been uh, receiving shots, the boosters and so on, they still get it. So what kind of trust do you have in that? And do they not understand that they contradict themselves all the time and maybe there's a point where you say listen guys look at how much the children are suffering from these things but not only uh, do they apparently you know do it I mean, they go along because those children uh, that uh, do not go along I mean they're stigmatized they are being punished at school um, uh, because uh, everybody seems to see them as uh, rogues. And therefore, um, I, I wrote directly to the Minister of Health of North rhine westphalia uh, That was uh, in the night of the 26th or the 27th of uh, June. And then the next day by email, the next day by mail. <coughs> and. That was basically overlapping with the letter that they had written to the parents in North Rhine-Westphalia. And 
My personal experience uh, gave me the input for this letter. Uh, to see what has been happening in the classrooms, because I've been looking at what people have been writing to me over the past two years. So if a Berlin mother tells me, uh, you know, that uh, a kid who was exempt from the uh, rule of using a mask, that, you know, if you don't wear a mask, then, you know, we should, uh, you know, beat you in the face, or that uh, they had a trial, uh, alarm and uh, some kids uh, run outside, other kids immediately reach for their masks uh, inside their satchels. And, uh, and those who said, oh, I forgot my mask, they go back to the classroom to pick up their mask because the kids think that that is so important. Just imagine, it's more important than a fire drill. Or <clears throat> another mother wrote to me, this was an original sticker from a school in North Rhine-Westphalia where it was a kid uh, was asked what they think of the, you know, the PCR pool test, the, the lollipop tests. And they said, well, it, you know, doesn't doesn't feel like a lollipop. Actually, it's uh, uh, rather disgusting in terms of taste. And <laughs> the kids wrote, you know, the test is an asshole. That's what kids write because they don't like that kind of test. And they were uh, angry about that. And another story about this is uh, something that actually came to me afterwards. It was a father who also from North Australia told me that uh, they showed a lockdown propaganda movie in the classroom. And then they said, dear kids, if if you do not believe that, you are a bad Nazi. And uh, the father who was uh, critical of this whole corona propaganda, uh, you know, had to pick up his kid uh, with a nervous breakdown from school. Just imagine that. So this is the reality of the indoctrination that is happening in the classrooms. And before this will pick up again, I think it's good to be acting proactively and uh, to uh, sent this letter. It's actually quite a long letter, but uh, some of it is from mainstream, others is from uh, media coverage, others is uh, also based on studies. And um, so they cannot accuse of not being scientific in the way we work. And uh, we say that there is this uh, preoccupation that, uh, you know, all the chicanery is starting again. And children are not the ones who uh, endanger others are uh, on the, uh, or that they are being uh, endangered. Uh, you can read that in the RKI reports that uh, children, in fact, are quite okay with getting protected against um, any kind of COVID. And we also included press reports. And we also wrote, the kids are not responsible for the well-being of others and certainly not for the well-being and health of the adults. You know, there are two studies that were as a preprint on a server and another one 
that uh, was uh, as a peer review in a very uh, recognized journal where uh, the it says that the contact with kids uh, reduces the risks of COVID-19 hospitalization. So the kids are not the drivers, but the contact with kids, in fact, does protect me to get really sick, uh, even to the point of having a mortal disease. <clears throat> it would be great. Uh, this is a guy called Matthew Solomon. He's the first author in the study. Uh, PNRS is the name of the journal. I don't know what it stands for. I, I knew it at one point, but I forgot it again. But it's a very well-recognized journal, and it was uh, published on the 27th of July. And we just hope that the teachers do read this study. So we include that, and then, and this is important, I don't know if you have that on, on your Corona Ausschuss Corona Committee homepage. We looked at the tests. Uh, we looked at the tests. Uh, well, Werner Bergholz, uh, people who watch this program know him. And he not only looked at some of the stuff from the Paul Ehrlich Institute, but he uh, also reenacted these tests and wrote a uh, report on them, and also on the Davour tests. And would be great if we could uh, have a, a link here at the Corona Committee from our page, because would be included to this letter as an annex, because these uh, sticks uh, with insulin oxide may cause cancer. They shouldn't actually touch into the human body, not be introduced into the nose and or the mouth uh, and the mucal um, mucus, um, and therefore um, it, it will, in fact, reduce uh, the capacity of immunity uh, of your uh, mucus liquids. And so Bavaria is now going to do away with these tests. Plus, they say we do not have uh, mandatory uh, use of masks and no testing for no reason. Uh, I'm sure they have been doing their homework also prior to that. And you see now that uh, there are first beginnings of a good development. So they are appealing to uh, the parents' own responsibilities. So if a kid has a flu, well, then the kids should stay home. And if a kid, in fact, you know, gets infected, that, then kids should stay home. That sounds a lot better than, and much more moderate than what we've been listening to in the past. And therefore, I would say this is a good step forward. And therefore, for North Rhine-Westphalia, I, order, I offered a separate version because uh, this minister, um, uh, we shouldn't say, you know, starting with it at the beginning of the new school year, uh, because that's not necessary anymore. She has already understood that part. But uh, we have to encourage her to be steadfast and uh, to stick to that point, especially when the teachers' associations are then all of a sudden again clamoring for this um, 
unprovoked testing scheme and so on have uh, uh, tests all over the place. Um, and being very sarcastic, you know, if kids are not very, uh, uh, you know, are a little bit naughty, not using their mask, just saying is sarcastically they shouldn't be punished. And um, the ministry did not respond to that part of my letter. But if I look, uh, talk about face covering, if I talk about masks, well, in an article from uh, Spiegel from the 27th, uh, no, 28th of, of July, they were talking about uh, uh, North Westphalia, and they were um, talking about Phil Robin Wegner, Weber, I think that's his name, who, who is uh, a spokesperson for the students, Students Association. And I have this article right here. Let me quote. It's the yeah, it's from the 28th of July. We would love uh, to have uh, the mandatory use of masks reinstated. It is a pity that in the infection bylaws, we don't have that embedded. So that's why we only have recommendations uh, to use a mask to protect yourself against the virus. So I ask who got this young man to be so scared. Somebody gave him uh, that angst. Uh, you know, I googled this guy. He is a member of the youth wing of the Social Democratic Party. Uh, and they're not really uh, known for that. Uh, maybe he is more interested in what his party is saying than uh, what uh, the students need, the ones that he is supposed to be representing. But this is something that um, opens interesting vistas into the way those things work. And so they have to have an analysis of the um, endowments plus the lab analysis. If it isn't linked there, we should still do it because that should be part of it, definitely. In all of these things, are can be seen at uh, the homepage of Basis, the party. Uh, this is, uh, but this is not only for people who are uh, involved in the Basis party or not, but this is for everybody. So I'm not trying to do marketing for the party, but uh, this is something that is, um, I, I, because I know that uh, my party is also interested in in, in, in this thing, and uh, you know I think we're all pulling in the right direction here and in the same direction. So it's not a marketing stunt. We want our kids to be safe, and we don't want our kids to have to suffer through uh, this unnecessary use of masks. So we talked about the mask issues at length. Concerning the masks, we said that this is all in vain. Masks can't stop infections of the breathing apparatus. You just have to look at the respective European standards on masks. What do they test is bacterial filtering capacity, not viral filtering capacity. Um, we've uh, learned that viruses are smaller than bacteria, and uh, 
the masks have a completely different background as the standard spells out. They are particle filters in uh, such. So if I work in a dusty atmosphere, uh, they prevent that. Or if I work with cement on the uh, concrete cement on the construction site, that protects my breathing and my lungs from these masks or from particle, from inhaling particles. They are not designed to um, protect me against um, bacteria and not even by, not even they don't protect myself, they are not prepared or made to protect others. We have looked at other studies that tells us we have uh, observed cohorts without masks, with no observations. We've uh, had different uh, cohorts that we observed uh, with masks and uh, with mask respect uh, with respect to the infections rate uh, showed that they did poorer and uh, the uh, federal minister of uh, justice says the effect is undisputed i wonder how he gets to that conclusions the studies show a complete different picture and i then put into the letter what some associations say, for example, the Federal Association of uh, Pediatric Doctors, they uh, say stop masks at school. That's what the official federation says. Um, um, the uh, Adults have to get the vaccines uh, for the children to wear no masks. Uh, now that is not in the discussion anymore. The European Center for Prevention and Control, CDC, has uh, in February 21 said stop that bullshit with the FP2 masks. And uh, the Federal Insurance uh, Association uh, demanded a finish of the mask mandates. And uh, so more and more institutions are moving away from that situation. Another important point was to make clear the health risks associated for children with the masks. We had a number of studies that we quoted here. We have presented some of that work in the committee as well. And one important one was conducted by Harald Wallach in early 2020. And that was a research done, published last year. And mysteriously, it was uh, retracted. Now, after a second review with new database, it has been republished. And they found out by experimental measuring, so that's not an observation, that's an experimental study, that children, on average, uh, wearing a surgical mask has uh, 13,000 parts per million under the mask uh, on, and in uh, under FP2 mask, uh, 13,900. The limit value at workplaces 
that shouldn't be trespassed is 2,000 parts per million, and the absolute top value um, that can only trespass in exceptional um, situation is 5,000, and now we are talking about 13 to 14,000 parts per million which collect under the masks in the breathing air, um, that this has to have an effect, uh, must be sure and clear to the last uh, um, critics. Um, this is no conspiracy at all. It's been officially published, and now we can really say there is a scientific basis why God has brought us to the face of this earth without a mask. And then we have some more figures in. We pointed out, for example, that under these, in the masks, there's nanoparticles, nanoplastics that is inhaled. And the journals who published this um, looked at the environmental effect of the masks as well, who have to be disposed, that have to be disposed and uh, calculated the amount of microplastics uh, brought into the food cycle. And now we have a study which I didn't refer to because it doesn't have a direct link to the mask, um, where we found uh, liver tissue with microplastics embedded getting there through the food chain mask or only a part of that of course it gets into the organs of our bodies no doubt about that and then what was important as well is look at the issues this has on the development of the children uh, language development is impaired by wearing masks or um, peop, uh, children starting to draw human faces without nose and mouth. Um, that was in the Coburg uh, newspaper and it was then um, uh, republished elsewhere. This mask wearing did something with the children. It's a symbol of uh, in constant intimidation permanent alarm state that is no good for children and this is why we said and that's the next point in this letter one short question if i may when we're talking about bacterial uh, imperfections uh, in the mass did you include that no not that uh, bacterial yeah, because of wearing, because we had that before, that kids, when they wear the yeah. mask, get this. Yeah, we've got that. We've got that. Or we've seen that on swaps that there's um, uh, um, pizza fungi uh, on the uh, on the mask inside. Um, Self-germination, uh, of course, plays a role here. And if I breathe this in, if I inhale this, these germs, um, uh, can uh, grow in the lungs and create problems. That is an effect that we do not want. 
Yeah, uh, Mrs. Kapstein included that in her expert paper that uh, using the hands, of course, uh, you have a way of transmission, and then you put on the mask, put it, uh, uh, put it off, take it off, put it on again. Then you put it into your into your bag, and people are not really trained on how to use the mask, how to take it off, and how to dispose of it. So there is uh, a contamination of the hands, and uh, by hands, this is then being transmitted, and so when you touch that and then somebody else is being touched with these hands and these germs are being passed on and people are, you know and children touch their faces and then using their hands the germs are being transmitted and uh, this is one of the main ways of infection i mean this is uh, the way germs travel and masks is an ideal place for an exchange of germs that's uh, you know, you know, in a surgery where people use uh, gloves, that's a completely different situation. You cannot really compare it. And so that's why there is no way you can avoid passing on the germs using the mask. Yes, we've got an expert statement from Zona Wagner, a professor who was in Leipzig as well in the officer's uh, military process. Um, in uh, April 21, she gave an interview and she was also involved in a meta study uh, published early 2021, specifically pointing out the effect of masks on children, adolescents and pregnant, uh, pregnant women. And uh, she made clear that the viruses uh, can remain up to a fortnight in a dry state on the mask. And that means if I don't use the mask as I should do if I had a normal hygiene training, uh, but if I you put it in my pocket, my bag or elsewhere, and then I fire the growth of uh, viruses on the mask, all of that is included in the letter. Um, if you want to read it, or oh, you have to read a bit, but, and I don't think that we didn't put in too much information at all. It's very important to point out there is so many voices now speaking out against these masks that we should get to a finding now and a conclusion. Oh, you're saying it very cautiously still. Yes, um, I referred to a contribution in Rubicon, which is an, a former teacher who wrote on 12th of July in Rubicon an article with a provocative, but I think correct title, The Crime on the Weakest is a teacher who describes her own experience in the classroom and many people have told me that the few critical spirits um, in Corona have been worn out by the system. They left voluntarily or they were eliminated um, with the help of the courts. Another um, article now has been published where the court says um, she has been suspended uh, rightly 
the the teacher is not a doctor she can't uh, tell us and so this is why the doctor the judges didn't care about it um, so uh, empathy less is the better way for teachers to deal with our teachers with our children in the opinion of a court and of course the children uh, have no one to talk to in all trust because the few people who listen to the children have been left and the few who are maybe critical are le who are left don't speak out and uh, and the others say who are left still there do that with all force um, a children a teacher with an eight-year old uh, children who has a child who has a mass trauma um, uh, because she was uh, had to wear masks early after birth she was forced to use masks in front of everybody and whoever I talk to teachers children parents um, who wanted to take a different way is incredible um, and these things happen every day in schools so um the point is now to make clear that this is not allowed to happen again and we have to make it clear to the teachers that it is their responsibility to train the children and to educate the children in the sense of um a free democracy as is laid out in the rules and legislation and not do whatever is told to them what do you think uh, the association of pediatricians say that the mask is bad, uh, that uh, does more harm than good. Uh, so if the pediatricians want to support the parents and give them a medical certificate saying that this is something that is bad for the kids, they will be visited by the police. So. Um, so somebody at a, at, a, at a police ward obviously thinks that he knows more than a pediatrician, but he does it on the basis of science. And uh, if uh, in, in that case, they you know may go and look at his uh, medical practice. Well, that's an important point that you pointed out two years ago. Um, if you check on uh, mass certificates. Um, you trespass the medical principles. Um, this is a blank suspicion that this is just a doctor who uh, didn't, didn't even accept the uh, laboratory tests of antibodies. In times, uh, in the past when things weren't going so well, if you had a wrong medical certificate, uh, and he was under the suspicion that there must be something wrong, then they would send him to the official doctor. And the official um, physician would then check that medical certificate. So they have these uh, so-called ombuds uh, doctors, the doctors of trust, uh, especially when it comes, for example, to certificates saying that somebody is not able to perform his regular job or her regular job. Uh, or rather that this is something that this uh, would uh, make him ill, then uh, you get that medical certificate. 
so if the doctor uh, then uh, gives uh, uh, issues that kind of certificate that doctor person that the nurse will not go back to her practice the teacher will not go back to the classroom because it is clear uh, that uh, uh, whatever is uh, ailing that person may make him even sicker. Do you know that if any doctor, because of a yellow slip, the so-called certificate, uh, has been suspended, do you know of any particular cases? I mean, I guess they would have to, in fact, uh, 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 you know, the so-called Dr. Holliday, you know, you would have to look at a lot of uh, medical practices to see, uh, you know, what kind of surgery, in fact, issues these yellow slips uh, left, right and center. So you heard of uh, police entering the doctor's office to look at that. And we don't even think about data protection acts here, but they look at that and they look at all of these patients' documents what kind of country am I in where this is permitted? I think it's something that is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, so what happens to the Data Protection Act? In the past, you know, you had to pay a tenth of thousand of euros if you did not adhere to these data protection uh, legislation. Uh, and who now thinks that they can do more than the, than the doctors and who can decide if something makes you sick or not? And I'm surprised that the doctors as a whole do not fight against this. Uh, I think the medical profession should not accept that. But if they continue like that, all of that is going to be legalized. So then you have the digitization and you have all of that done electronically. And in that uh, electronics uh, chip, you have all kinds of uh, documents. And then it's a computer that decides if, uh, you know, by a certain algorithm, if that person gets the yellow slip or not. And these algorithms may not always be based on best practice of medicine. You're talking about Facebook, are you? So whatever is happening here to the medical profession is something that people are not aware of. I mean, we are basically disempowering the medical profession. So all they can do is uh, inject and, and, and prescribe pills. Well, two points on that. These search warrants have all been issued by judges. There's no warrant without a judge. And so we have to wonder what the judges are up to. and. As you talk about Doc Holliday, I, for ten and a half years at the Free University of Berlin, I was chair of the uh, experts committee, and we had a regulation saying that if you have, you could credibly, credibly say that you can't work, you get an extension for two weeks. And uh, of course, you can imagine there was epidemics going around towards the deadlines um, in many students and so on. So as a chair, I wondered what this may be about, but I didn't question any of the certificates handed out by the doctors because many people didn't get to hand in their work anyway. So um, that surely is a market, but as you rightly assume, the trespassing of the lines by the state, um, if the state thinks that without expert knowledge they can check on the work of 
that's not going to be limited to corona that is going to be a general phenomena and that's what we have to fear if we don't stop and so i wonder where the doctors representatives are where's the chambers where's the health insurances well the insurance plans uh, they are the ones who need to pay for it when the people get the yellow slips so they're of course opposed to it well you're right it's other people's money so don't worry it's it's our money not theirs so they they don't they're not concerned anyhow if i may interject well, that, we got a bit off topic here uh, however maybe i could briefly uh viviani do you have a question yeah, i wanted to make one comment if i may uh, in this bergamo story there uh, the state issued orders on how to treat patients and uh, they said what exactly the physician said to do so this was absolutely binding so it was not only about uh, issuing a yellow slip or not but you have to treat a patient exactly the way it is written in the book so alternative treatments you know will uh, end up in search warrants and uh, end up in uh, losing your right to exercise your profession so this is something that may happen there too so the th point is that we uh, you know this is a very slippery slope maybe wolfgang as you just said these are not um, off-topic issues but uh, they are political political assumptions nothing to do with medicine we are going to play a little video at the end from an american doctor who points out that 100 years ago things were different but today the instruction for the doctors is anything else but pushing things aside and what he also points out is that the third um, most cause of death um, are um, treatments by medical doctors well, this is not born on an initiative of the medical profession, but uh, they are the middlemen. They are the ones following instructions here. But um, it is also not the political field that is making the shots, but it's actually the lobby. It's the pharmaceutical industry uh, that wants these things written into law and to facilitate it to uh, have give getting orders for unnecessary drugs and uh, doctors are bound by their hypocritical oath but i don't understand why the medical profession doesn't fight this uh, i mean these are um, criminal activities and we must try to organize we're trying that now and we have an alternative uh, medical association now uh, opposing the regular chamber of the medical profession because if you are a critical doctor please help the candidates of these lists on the alternative field we may not get the majority but we must show and say that yes we are uh, against this. Uh, the medical profession is too important as to have lost it.
By the way, a very interesting point in all of this, there is the S3 guidelines on clinical treatment of COVID-19. The interesting thing are the last two pages, uh, conflicts of interest. 13 of the 24 authors of these guidelines have consultant contracts or some other links to the pharmaceutical industry that they indicated. The other 11 haven't indicated these contracts of interest, which doesn't mean they don't have any. However, they're not so obvious, at least, that they have to put them in. So the link of uh, power and money is a big issue. I. By the way, I also, if I open the sample letters, we've got these masks that we're talking about. They're not just the CO2 rebreathing. That's a short-term effect, um, drop of concentration of headaches and so on. The long-term effect is, for example, if there's not enough oxygen in the brain, the cells die out and what's gone is gone. So we have a contribution here um, in which Marguerite Grispasson looked at that uh, quite clearly, pointing out that if you uh, get used to wearing masks, that can be the basis of a later dementia. Um, neurodegenerative diseases. And if you say these children have to wear the mask for hours, um, that has effect. Well, there are cars now with cameras they can recognize if you're getting tired, right? Uh, and if somebody wears a mask, apparently uh, th those cars should come to a full stop immediately and, 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 and break the car. Uh, because this is just as bad uh, wearing a mask than to, to, to disengage these facilities in your car. Well, that would make sense. But uh, Margareta Grispesson is here with us today. So that's why I wanted to mention her. <laughs> um, she can talk about this. Wolfgang, as to what you said a bit earlier, how can the doctors, uh, you know, be let, let themselves be devalued and, and lose their honor? And at the time uh, when we actually studied medicine, we we thought in process or mechanisms. So, in other words, the first uh, thing is what are the physiological processes? What are the pathogenic? Uh, pathophysiological processes, and then you're talking about pathology. So as a physician, you can predict if you do this or that, you do it or you do not do it, this may occur. But nowadays, uh, it is being pushed, this evidence-based evidence -based thinking, evidence-based medicine. So the opposite of what I described earlier is that if you want to have an evidence, first of all, you have to find a sponsor who is interested in that kind of evidence. You have to go through the ethics committee and it's a process that takes months or years. And when we had the first discussions about face coverings and masks, 
The physiological phenomenon is, of course, the breathing. I could not imagine that we would actually have a discussion on that, because who can force me uh, not to breathe properly? That's impossible. That's simply not on. But then they did do it. And what you said, Martin, this business of, you know, we're getting used to us, I think I, I, I realized with despair that even children say, oh, I don't even notice it anymore. So in other words, we are getting used to a very low level and we forgot, you know, what was your original level. And, you know, this is the way we can continue. So for me, uh, to see a person with a mask, I mean, that hurts me physically. And just now it occurred to me, I was in a train to Mülheim. I was sitting in front of a man, 30 degrees, and the guy was a little bit um, sweating. He uh, was quite heavy set. He had problems breathing. I looked at him and the man would not take off his mask. And then he almost exploded. And then he says, you want to teach me what to do? You should put on your mask and you will not convince me. And then the conductor came and he asked the conductor, do we have a mandatory use of face shielding or not? And then he, I showed the document to the doctor and I said, look, look I, 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 Neuro, I don't have to wear a mask. Neurogenerative change, that's probably the cause of the behavior that you saw. And you know, Martin, you mentioned that earlier. Neurogenerative processes are very slow processes. They take a long time. So what's the ideology of, uh, ideology of this? Well, it's a multi, 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 factorial occurrence. So in other words, for many processes, we don't have any access or we don't know about them, but <clears throat> we understand the processes, the ones that we do have an approach of, we have to look at them in detail. And please, oxygen, oxygen, give oxygen to your damn brain and a child needs oxygen. It is criminal, absolutely criminal. Yeah, it, it is so obvious. And you know that without being a doctor. You're so right. And it's easy to measure. Yes. You can measure the uh, concentration of oxygen under your mask, and it is definitely below the regular level of oxygenization that you have. And that this makes you tired, that's obvious. Of course, and Wolfgang, um, the fact that we have to talk about it, that you can measure it if you breathe against an obstacle. If we start that physical, that we look at physiological processes, explaining them with evidence-based mechanisms, uh, well, wh where are we then? There can't be a worse getting off the rails of our profession and the natural science in any way. 
It's common sense. It's common sense. sense. Yes, and that is really where I see that we have to be much, much stronger against this and not do another study. Is there too much carbon dioxide in the breath? You breathe against an obstacle. Stop. Full stop. That's it. The free exchange of air is obstructed, and uh, that's the end of the discussion. Full stop. Makes sense, makes sense, but the reality is different, of course. Out there, there are many people who simply can't take this anymore, especially in the US, but also in Germany. But if you go shopping in Germany, I was uh, in a shop with in a Tegut shop with my wife, uh, about 70% of the people wear a mask. It's absurd, completely absurd. Quite right, yes. All right, well, I think that uh, we need to keep illuminating this subject area. We will have to get deeper into it. We have to reverse that uh, takeover of capacity by non-doctors, and the doctors have to note this. I think it's extremely important to point this out and make this clear. Pretty soon we will have Dr. Thoma. You've heard of him before, because this is an issue that we know is going to be very, very big in the fall, probably also in conjunction with monkeypox or something else of that nature. Well, what I imagine, many people are on sick leave now, more than ever before. We have an all-time high, especially in the health professions and people who are under pressure physical and psychological pressure um, by mandatory mandates. Many people can't deal with that and they take sick leave. So just imagine all the doctors who um, give sick leave to their doctor, to their patients are warranted by the police. Then all doctors would be confronted with the police because these patients are everywhere. I have never noted a police uh, squad uh, running into uh, a patient's ward. That may occur, and in fact, it already has occurred. Yes, no, let me correct myself. Yes, it did happen. We had Dr. Kirken here, and he, in fact, was uh, visited uh, by. Um, such police activity because they said that he had been signing off yellow slips without having, ever having seen the patient. Afterwards, it uh, turned out that he did have an exam and he did a proper anamnesis and everything and then uh, provide the medical certificate. So they used uh, another argument, some other stupid thing. Uh, and then in the court, we had the altercation. And at the end of the day, he was accused uh, that uh, he shouldn't have been believing his patient. <laughs> Incredible. If I, well, maybe if I, I may just uh, complete the presentation of my sample letter, uh, one of the most important uh, objections uh, are that without the masks, we can't go to uh, prisons at school. And that is, of course, based on the very shaky premises that the children uh, spread the infection, which they don't. And uh, we raised the point that you can't get around, which is um, the further d former director of the health um, authorities and minds who said, uh, must we don't need uh, mass screening at the tests at the schools it's all not productive and that has been presented 
And then we've got uh, the point, get out of the fear. Why do people wear fear, wear masks? Because they are fearful, they have been scared off. And uh, that is something that I came across in the last um, quarter of the year with high professionalized propaganda, as professional as it is inimaginable, really. And um, that was uh, from the Leipzig process uh, proceedings um, that um, uh, RKI uh, Excel file um, on COVID, where they say 0.03% of death rates by Corona, uh, much less than normal flu, by the way. And uh, then we said, well, if you want to do something for your health, let us turn back to we always knew before a good uh, vitamin uh, level and micronutrients is a very good protector against uh, severe causes. Vitamin C, vitamin D has been proven again and again to have this effect. And we had a multiple um, survey with micronutrients um, that is put into that letter as well. So if we want to do health management for the teachers to get them out of their fear, um, treating the mucus, that is a finding fr from you that a big part of the immune system is on our mucus tissue. And the basic of that was uh, that the immune system, I learned I learned things in Corona which I never found out, had found out before, would have found out, um, speaking to the experts. And um, that is really um, an important point um, made by Annette, because um, she understands much more of that than I do. Um, we've pointed out the different protocols which are successful, um, as known, medication that is successful. Uh, we don't have to be scared of that disease. And um, that is why um, anything firing the fear um, is uh, just uh, basing the masks. And I also asked to stop discrimination of children who are not vaccinated against uh, COVID-19. So hygiene rules, uh, excluding these uh, students from class trips is something that I put in. It's not the um, task of a school to recommend or uh, de-recommend any vaccination. So, if I would uh, be uh, coming up with uh, conspiracy theories here, saying that that's a pure lie, um, I always say, look, I am there to give you the right information. So, vaccination is something that you talk to your doctors with, not with me, not with your school, and not with anybody else. And a few students talked to me about this, and one of them said she's not sure whether she'd get the vaccination or not. Um, she doesn't. Her doctor told her not to because she's so young. So um, I asked her to uh, interview her doctor on the, her immune system, uh, and her doctor can tell her about this. I can't. So. Uh, playing a ball back into the field where it came from, and uh, I'm not qualified to talk about that at all, and I don't want to be. 
So, um, I am not speaking out pro or anti-vaxxing here. That is what people have to get the information from their doctors and nowhere else. And um, there is another closing um, saying, if you carry on pushing these rules, you are will be punishable according to the criminal, criminal acts. And um, this is a abuse of uh, children which has to be stopped in the future. And uh, even if the master wearing is uh, shown as it is, we have a qualification uh, for a criminal, criminal, criminal action. Um, that can't be in the interest of anybody. I don't want to jail anybody either. And I want to make sure that our children can be given back normality, uh, not by just removing the obligations, but uh, all the background music, um, uh, vaccinate, vaccinate, masks, and all that rubbish. That has to stop, that the children can come back to a natural health awareness um, where we were 20 years ago, there was something like class schoolroom 2000, 20 years ago, where they tried to implement a health awareness into the children. And that's what we have to get back to, telling the children that they have mechanisms in their body to repair what has gone wrong. Of course not if you uh, reduce the oxygen and kill your brain cells off by wearing masks. And what is inside the body is not removed irreparable damage by action that is supposed to protect your health is unacceptable and that has to be made clear to all the schools. And that's why we have come up with these sample letters for a short explanation to finish off with the Corona Committee has provided these as word files. The, the party DeBasis has provided them as word files and as PDF files with a little instruction um, to adjust that to your individual interest. Of course, uh, the PDF uh, documents don't have that. Um, you have to have some self uh, work on that. Um, because you have different situations in different states. So, um, do you appeal for that or, or do you say um, it's good that there's no mask mandates anymore? So, get yourself informed what the situation in your school is if you want to use these letters and adapt them to the present situation. So please think for yourselves. That is what I want to point out here. Um, that was the work result that I wanted to present it. It's always good to have some uh, intellectual independence. That would be nice. I hope that uh, the use of master hasn't actually eradicated them. Martin, thank you so much. I think uh, people will be excited about that. And many people have been waiting for that. Also abroad, we will have to translate that into English. That would be nice, because this is a campaign that is actually happening in many, many places in LA. Everything is being prepared for the fall. People have to use masks again because uh, they are expecting terrible infections, uh, not only COVID, but also 
monkeypox and so on. So this could be internationally of interest. We are a little bit in delay now because uh, Ernst Wolf has been sitting here for almost half an hour now. The most important point is where do you find the text? Yeah, let me stress that. Um, Coronaausschuss.ausschuss.de uh, slash masks hyphen Musterschreiben. Oh, there it is. Mask, masken minus Musterschreiben. So corona-ausschuss.de slash masks, masken minus Musterschreiben. Should, put, should be put uh, on the respective menu as well. And we'll put it at the bottom, at the starting page. So it's a green button uh, to get on that page. <clears throat> All right, good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I wanted to visit you, but that seems to be difficult. However, we have a next guest with us, present with us, Ernst Wolf, um, economist, author. He wrote the books uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Ernst Wolf explains the global financial system, the international financial setup um, on the criminal construct of the deep state and the financial tsunamis, what you wrote as well. That's going to be republished now. Ernst is going to talk about the central bank interest rates and um, of the central banks and why they are an attack on the small and medium-sized companies. We also talk about the risk of the danger of collapsing supply chains. This is what people are very concerned about. In Germany, it's not only about food, it's about gas and energy as well, the role of Russia or Putin and China or Xi Jinping in the current world affairs and the risk of a third world war. That's a broad range of topics. However, I know that Ernst has a word to say on that because I read what he wrote about it. So, what is it? with the interest rates by the central banks. I know that more and more people are getting concerned, saying, oh, I wanted to sell my house, now I can't find a, a buyer because the interest rates are going up. Exactly. We had a long time when interest rates were going down. And then in March and April 2020, they were at zero percent. And you have to just imagine, we have uh, been going through a number of increases the first one of the central bank, that was two days ago, 0.5% up. Federal Reserve uh, already did it a little bit earlier. They have already gone through the fourth hike, 0.75%, two times in a row. So they are now at 2.5%. Now you have to say that the entire financial system uh, has been uh, basically kept alive uh, by by uh, uh, decreasing interests uh, in the past 12 years. And now they're doing the opposite. 2018, uh, they increased the uh, interest a few times, and then the financial markets were in dire straits. And this, of course, must be seen as an intentional um, uh, try to uh, do away with the world economy. It's just like uh, you have a problem with your car, uh, and uh, when you see that you have car trouble, instead of uh, slowing down, you're stepping on the gas pedal. So 
the main problem is that all the problems that uh, are engendered by that, we now have the highest rate of indebtedness ever in the economy. Uh, so we have the indebtedness of the countries, 300 billion US dollars. And these interests must be paid. The debts have to be serviced. So you not only pay them, but you have to pay interest on them too. And that, of course, is making things more difficult. And uh, that makes it harder uh, to pay back your debts. Now, a large part of the small and medium-sized companies are in much bigger problems than the big companies. The big companies, they have reserves. They speculate uh, in the financial markets. They are busy with derivatives. And even if the financial market goes down, they still profit by uh, doing empty sales. But the uh, uh, small and medium-sized companies, they can't do that. They uh, are affected directly by that. And that's what we're seeing now. It's a real attack on uh, SMEs, and uh, many of these smaller companies will not survive. We will have a great number of companies going belly up. I fear that the German SMEs are not aware of that. I was in Austria the other day, and I heard from an Austrian um, entrepreneur that these medium-sized companies that we describe as such are only in, in German or in the German-speaking area. So usually these are company-owned, family-owned companies uh, caring for their staff who are financially independent. And I thought this was around the world like that, but that's not the case because this is a rather big company, I think 1,500 employees. He tried to bring up his ideas in the US and he thought, found out it's completely different, which I noted as well when I talked to someone over there. If you fund a company, you come up with an idea, you come up with a company saying, we can do vertical gardens, for example, for better food supply. And the next thing they do is they go to Silicon Valley to get investors who perfectionize it. So it's all just made for a product and then handed over by the usual spastics, uh, to the usual suspects. And this company who did this and who is independent and creative and doesn't want to get into this platform economy, that's a typical German issue. Well, it does exist in other countries too. But in the U.S., many of those SMEs have already uh, lost their level of subsistence, and then you know they don't have the right equity, so they uh, have losing ground for to 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 the bigger companies. And uh, you know, if the larger enterprises see something that is of interest, I mean, if you have a creative idea, then uh, the big companies simply take over. That's the way the cookie crumbles. But in Germany, we still have it. Uh, if we're talking about Germany, the largest number of jobs are with the SMEs, also the job uh, trainees, uh, and that's the part that pays the taxes because the international companies, I mean, they have their offshore centers, uh, you know, registered in some strange island. They don't pay very many uh, taxes. So an SME in Germany pays much more taxes than, than Google and Amazon and so on. So that's a very dangerous uh, 
development because basically uh, the societal basis uh, is being eroded. So they're trying to uh, really break break down everything. Um, so the restaurants will all be chain restaurants, and uh, you know the, the ideas of having chains will be everywhere. So we have platform companies that have taken over a lot. I mean, uh, travel agencies, bus companies, uh, they're all uh, crumbling down. And it's always like one big player and the others simply can't do it. So this Austrian entrepreneur told me that he just wanted to test out how does it work in the US. He presented the idea and the first thing, they liked the idea, and the first thing they said is how much money do you need? He said, I don't need money, I have enough. They want to invest into companies, but then 70% of the shares. And so at the end, they market everything, they rule it out. It's just an integrated into platform economics, or if it is a dangerous idea, a new way of energy, for, for example, it is buried. Uh, they buy it and leave it so that it doesn't get into the way of the big players. So there's things going on behind the scenes. I fear that services, that the secret services play a role, uh, what many Americans call as deep state in Silicon Valley. But that is going to be brought to light now. Yes, that's a development that has been reinforcing itself because the basis for these developments, we've seen that 100 years ago. The US, when they invented the uh, bulb, uh, the light bulb, uh, and th there, you know, it was uh, developed somewhere else, but they simply bought the patent rights, and that's the way it was. And that's what they do in big style and in a very organized fashion. I would say that is like organized crime. What are we looking at here? What's the reason to increase the interests now? To yeah, they want to have a controlled meltdown of the financial system. So the financial system, you know, we've had that since 1945. That is something that uh, they don't want to keep alive. In 44, we we learned that in school that our banking system stems from the Middle Ages, that there were these Italian banks and then the Germans, Fugos, they continued with it and then bit by bit it kept evolving. And then 1873, they founded the German uh, National Bank. It's not true. It's not interesting at all. Our Nash, our system now was actually born in 1944 and it's a dollar dominated system. Bretton Woods is uh, was the day when it was born. They declared the uh, dollar to be the number one currency and all the other ones were pegged. And it went through a number of phases, uh, the boom after war, then the phase of deregulation. Uh, after the war, the banks became too powerful and then uh, they couldn't make that much money more over credit and they said, you know, we want other means of making money and the politicians said, okay, we deregulate, great. So the banks could do things that they were not allowed to do before, hedge funds that do nothing. But, but uh, you know, they're banks that simply are not called banks uh, so that the big companies founded their own hedge funds. Uh, and the interesting bit is that within the framework of the financialization and the explosion of the financial sector, there were three phases. First one was uh, where we had the investment banks getting stronger, the second one where the hedge funds got stronger, and the third one, that's where we're in now, 
uh, started at the change of the millennium when uh, the asset management took over everything. So the financial dealings worldwide uh, is actually governed by asset managers, Vanguard, Fidelity, Stake Street, and Vanguard is uh, the main shareholder of BlackRock, and they are uh, the shareholders of the six of the other eight biggest uh, consultancy companies. So uh, BlackRock is the number one in total, and BlackRock, uh, uh, you know, if you think that you're uh, afraid of uh, artificial intelligence, well, the financial system is already uh, being governed by AI. BlackRock is uh, using the Aladdin system. Um, at the beginning of the founding of BlackRock, uh, the founder, uh, you know, implemented that with a couple of uh, programmers. And it got all kinds of data in there. They uh, can do strategic games. And when we had uh, 2018, the financial crisis and the uh, central banks took over, uh, BlackRock, of course, was uh, somebody to be reckoned with because they had all the information that was needed. So since then, BlackRock is the main consultant for all the central banks. So. Uh, a uh, consultant company is basically taking over the central banking system. So they are not independent. We learn that uh, the central banks are there to make uh, the financial system independent of politics. That's nonsense. It's uh, part of the main asset managers of, and they know that the system is coming to an end and uh, they let the central banks work on a new system. It's a digital uh, central system. They are doing tests all over the place. Many people don't know what this is because all of this project is something that is not being reported on the mainstream media. But in China, for example, between 250 million individuals and companies uh, already have that on their mobile phone. So they have an app and then uh, it's about smaller uh, quantities, but they're doing all kinds of tests from 11 to 23, all of China is in it. And then in the US, they did something in the Caribbean, in the Bahamas, on Jamaica, they're doing that. In the, and then you have the major test in Africa, Nigeria, Sakinal, and then in Tibet, up there in Nepal. So this is being tested all over the world, but and also in Russia. Russia is a part of that too. <coughs> so there is not a country that is not really involved, <coughs> uh, except for some uh, countries that are a bit backward uh, in South America and Africa that are dependent on others anyhow. But what we have now, this money, is not in this, the system is not there that we can use it now. They have a, a couple of issues, some problems of how to introduce it. But the point is this, we are in a phase of transition. The old system is over, but the new one isn't there yet. So what do we do in this phase of transition? So whatever we see now is not sustainable. It's not future oriented. They all say, who cares what happens tomorrow? So what is happening now, increase of uh, interest will lead to a collapse of the economy. And don't look at the share prices. Uh, the share prices are going up, but they are completely 
disconnected from the real economy. The real economy is going down the drain and uh, the uh, stock markets are uh, being hyped because there they can do uh, accurate sales and uh, they're uh, compensate for losses. One thing is important. Uh, when you uh, use digital money from the central banks, well, each company is supposed to have only one account, and that account is with the central bank. So the central bank, the arm of the state, has the opportunity to give uh, different interest rates or different uh, tax rates. Uh, penalties can be issued or he can be cut off uh, any benefits and so on. So that means that in the industrial nations where you have a certain level of democracy, uh, there you have a lot of resistance because people say, hey, now I'm a dependent 100% of the state and I have to follow the rules, I have to do exactly what the state tells me to do and people will not go along with that. They will say, no, we don't want that. That's why they say they want to make the economy collapse. There will be millions and millions of people who are unemployed, a lot of homeless people. People will not be able to pay for their homestead, for their food. And then they have, uh, you know, we have a basic income. We save you, they call it a humanitarian act. Uh, by giving you a basic minimum uh, salary, let's say a thousand or a thousand two hundred per month, and, uh, and it doesn't matter if people work or not. This is not to keep them alive, but to keep them alive as consumers. Because uh, if more people get unemployed, uh, we see that in the technical uh, revolution, more people get unemployed. These people are not consumers anymore, but we may need them as consumers. Uh, and the modern monetary theory says we have to create this, these funds uh, artificially to feed them into the market. We are at a state where we're about to have uh, a failure because that cannot work anymore. If you try to simplify summarizing what's happened over the last decades, especially if you look at the uh, Davos platform and the WEF with the private-public partnerships, then, in my view, this was a hostile takeover by super-rich privateers with their vehicles, the NGOs and uh, the global corporations of the actual public sector. Our politicians are not our politicians. They are creatures of the World Economic Forum, of the Young Global Leader Program, and they dictate the game. But they also made sure that, um, as I called in a video, at the time when Manhattan was uh, sold uh, for $24, we got a heap of paper, of worthless paper money. And only that made Bill Gates the biggest landowner in the US. So that means they know that more and more people know this, but they also know that their game is over because both currencies, um, uh, big currencies, you could say the euro and the dollar are bust. We're a bit more in debt than the Americans are. At least that's what our friend Leslie Minukin says. So probably it's going to crash here first. The euro is dropping compared to the dollar. And then uh, the dollar is going up. A last uh, uprise and then it'll go over the top as well and when that happens this digital currency on credit system is going to be issued 
quite rightly, um, first point that the dollar comes up, and uh, that is really all currencies are very little worth now. Um, what you get of them today is just a joke. It should be much less already, but it's artificially kept alive. And if that system really goes bust, um, it's going gonna, gonna to be collapsing. And the thing that you have to know by now is that these big crashes in the last year, uh, century have never come up by accident. We all learned the 29. Um, Friday 29th, everybody was taken by surprise that the New York stock um, a drop, so I saw the 90% drop in uh, stocks. That was all staged. That was all planned out and uh, done by the big banks at the Wall Street at the time, because later on they were able to take over 10,000 small banks in the US. And if we look at Germany as well, the Second World War is uh, said to be a war of fascism, uh, democracy against fascism. It's a product of financial policy of Wall Street. In the 20s, Wall Street handed out massive credits also to Germany, and these credits in the 1929 crisis have been asked back, and they couldn't be paid back. And that led for many uh, companies to go bankrupt, um, that there was millions of jobless people on the roads, and that led to the NSDAP being the big party. So lots of things came up in the background, uh, maybe not in all details, but the general strategy, big crashes, um, uh, no, co never come out of the blue. Um, people who are inside the system all got good information and they know precisely when it's going to happen and uh, when the system is going to be driven up the wall, especially now in the financializing, every possibility was uh, created to make money with the breakdown. We've got the global financial crash 2008-9. Uh, the big ones got massively bigger and we have a concentration of power and assets uh, which is uncomparable. Um, it started, it's exponential now, it started slow, but in the last 20 years it massively exploded, and over the past two or three years it, it grew exponentially. No, you're saying it, 2008-2009, uh, the housing crisis, which then eventually became the world financial crisis, Europe became Go, fell under the bus, Lehman Brothers, and so on. And the politician said, Mr. Mrs. Merkel, Steinberg, they said uh, people will be taken to account, but nothing happened. But nothing did occur, nothing did happen, because our politicians are not our politicians, but actually are their politicians, the ones that actually afford these horrible well, things. Well, there's an anecdote. I don't know if it's right, but there's journalists in Berlin who said that at the crisis at its peak, um, after Lehman breakdown, Miss Merkel talked to Mr. Ackermann, the director of the Deutsche Bank, and he came to Berlin and at first time said, we are gonna, not going to save the banks. Many Few people remember this. She said, we are not going to save the banks. And then they met up and they uh, crawled up and uh, he ran out of the room and Merkel came after him and saying, okay, okay, Josef Ackermann made clear who has the power in this country. The Deutsche Bank has much more to say than the government has. The Deutsche Bank can close down all the markets, no companies to get a credit, the real center of power, as in all other countries, is the financial center and not with the politicians. Well, the problem with the Deutsche Bank is, uh, is that uh, they say that they're basically 
broke. Uh, they have derivatives uh, of what? 44 uh, millions, billions. So. It's not going to break down because they're the ones who are not allowed to break down. In the financial crisis, the Federal Reserve saved them. Many people think that the Federal Reserve only saved American banks. That's not right. It saved the German bank as well to keep up the system. Not directly, but indirectly. Yeah, it's a very tricky way to do that. Just a minute ago, you mentioned the Russians. Uh, they said that they also use digital currencies or trying to doctor with it. Uh, interesting question, but just yesterday or the day before yesterday, I had a short interview, it's not quite done yet, with Thomas Rulpa. He's been living in Russia for many years and he is uh, from the financial industry and he said, no way, Putin uh, does not like the uh, world funds and he doesn't want to have any global power. What do you think? Completely the opposite. It's very simple. They work in high with high pressure on the digital ruble. The central bank in Russia has just launched a big project with big with 12 banks, uh, amongst others the Spear banks, the biggest bank in Russia, very powerful as well. They are involved in that. And I think it's important to look at the staff in the background. The Hermann Graf is the director of Spear Bank. He's from WEF. And not only that, he is also in the highest committee, uh, the board of WEF. He sits there with Larry Fink, Christine Lagarde, Kristalina Georgieva, El Gore um, in the board of the WF. So if you think that these people are not involved in that project uh, is beyond my understanding. So it's the same thing. It's interesting to see the reasoning, and that's the interesting point of the game that we see now in the Ukraine war as well. I think both parties are just as interested to keep this conflict up, and nobody provokes with anybody else uh, accepting that provocation and driving it forward. That's the same thing that happens with the sanctions. The Russians sell it to their own population, the introduction of the digital rule, uh, saying that we have to protect ourselves against foreign sanctions. So the uh, introduction could have been made easier by sanctions from the West, because that way the own population can be lied to and they can tell them we come up with a digital ruble not to control you, to manipulate you, but to protect ourselves against the sanctions. And the Chinese? Same thing, same thing. Um, they are in the WF as well for quite some while. Um, it was the first organization really that found out what happened on in China. In the 70s already, they uh, stretched out their fingers to China, starting corporations. They organized a lot of things before. And they were didn't care um, when in the Tiananmen Square this massacre took place. Uh, a few months later in China, they did their meetings with the Chinese. They didn't care less. Uh, whether the students were run over by tanks or not. So working on the same thing, and I just said the people in China have 200 million Chinese have that wallet individuals or companies, and if you um, apply that to Germany, that would be 20 million in Germany having it. The big difference being Well, uh, apparently the aim is to get the population to join in. And that's why I connected to, you know, the mandatory use of masks and all of these things that make us get scared 
health uh, issues, the war, uh, and the, the, the media give us all kinds of information. Um, and if you know that something like that is happening in the background, that people want to keep, be kept in a state of fear, that they go along with everything. And that necessity is being uh, engineered by these people. They want us to use masks so that we are using the pandemic as an excuse. These are images that we get that will paralyze us and make it possible that they can do their Ill illegal actions by themselves. And they haven't quite finished yet. That's why they need to continue with all of these activities. And we have to do everything to avoid that. And I hope you still have some time that you don't only have this um, diagnosis, but we can think about what we can do. What's the therapy? What can we do so that we get out of that situation? Are there structures? Are there regional alternatives? Do we have the opportunity to do something? Or, or are we that, that broken that we can't do a thing? No, no way. One thing I'd like to mention, because that's what I'm asked, how can China, for example, have 200,000 million people uh, without uh, credit, social credits, and how can't we do it? Uh, I said, we have a tradition of democracy. Um, it was not a real democracy, however, we had some rights that the Chinese haven't had for a long time. Um, every any Chinese that is 70 years old uh, lived under the dictatorship of the Communist Party for the whole of their life. So they have different means to uh, intimidate and uh, move the people other than we do. That's the big difference to Germany. In the Western countries, this is not as easy to do to introduce it that way by mandate, and this is why we have they have to create that crash uh, in order to come up with that universal income. It's important. What can we do at the moment? Now, of course, the big development is nothing you can do much. But the first thing is what you see is that people have to note that all these health measures have to be seen in the context with that agenda in the background. You can't just uh, point out um, doctors make mistakes. There's a health minister who got off the track. No, there is a tough plan behind all of that. And it's not the first of these plans. We've had these plans before, and uh, this is something that uh, really scares me at the moment. The First World War had a background of the big banks uh, um, getting enriched. The Second World War it carried on. There was always an agenda in the background. The First World War was the consequence of the um, fight to, to took the role of the uh, successor of um, um, uh, Great Britain and the big winner in this was the big banks. And the same thing happened in the Second World War. The Wall Street banks were the big winners of the war, and today they belong to the asset management. Goldman Sachs, um, main shareholders is Goldman Sachs and Vanguard. Um, there is a big, big power, incredibly strong, and we saw in the context of the health crisis, 200 governments did the same thing. So we have to uh, assume that it's going to carry on, that we're going to have a massive front in front of us, and we really have to evade to what you looked at, uh, build up regional structures. We have to have our own regional structures. Young people are in demand here. Regional 
payment, regional swap exchanges, um, things like that. Technology um, has to take a stand here. If I talk to young people who work with blockchain technology, why not uh, set up a local or regional blockchain um, as a currency and market it? Well, the question is, do you think that the mayors of our country, the ones who are in charge of the counties, um, the communal, the local government folks, are they all bought, uh, can be bought, uh, so they do damage to the population so that they want to monopolize their uh, wealth? Will they all go along, or are there those local politicians who say, no, the buck stops here, I will not go along with that. Uh, we will not uh, protect, the, and we will protect the people in such a way they don't have to follow this nonsense. And uh, we will simply not uh, allow these plans to go into effect. So we have subsidiarity principles that will come into effect. In Germany, that's going to work in the East, if at all. The people are awake there because they remember what happened before the Iron Curtain fell. In the West, I don't see much resonance. Of course, a bit. Germany has a problem that it's so small that here it's difficult to get away with that little regional structures. It's easier in bigger countries, even if they are as uh, bust as US and Canada. Australia can do it as well. You know why Switzerland is so stable? Because so many small regional cantons that simply want to stick to their independence and their regionality parochialism and local authorities uh, and they have even three different nationalities in Switzerland Germans Italians French and they have their cantons and these cantons are so much more important for the stability of the state than the federal government so they're not so afraid of these things they can regulate things they can take care of things that have to do with social aspects uh, safety security people can live in harmony and we must try to have regional structures of that nature that are transparent where we know we can trust them because we know the people um, such structures we must create and Switzerland is a fantastic example for that. They have the tradition of it. And I don't know how we can start it, but it would be great if uh, some regions could start with it. Well, we are on the way to that. I see that everywhere. I've just talked talk to an medical, uh, a British medical journalist, Selam Back, and she is in Zanzibar. And there they are setting uh, a number of these structures so it's 20 30 50 people who of course have to be autonomous that means you need a good soil that's easier if you get to the equator you need good soil you need water and somebody who's a doctor who's a dentist somebody who's a mechanic 
Well, okay, that may happen, but that's what we have to pick up on. This is quickly developing now outside in Germany as well, also in the US, South America, everywhere. And if we get to network these communities, we even got the backbone of a new justice and legal system. Democracy can't live without a legal system, and we need a new legal system because the German system is bust. Um, so that's another approach and another reason why it could make sense with these structures, with these regionals, and linked not with an overarching NGO controlling it. Uh, with that structure, we can get into the race. And if they get the backbone of a new legal system, which could be set up in the big uh, <clears throat> Um, proceedings to clarify what's been going on here and uh, and um, getting people to justice, that will take us a step forward and that would send a big signal to all regions, to ours and that of the enemy. It was rather interesting what we saw in Belgium. Uh, we visited Professor Desmet and we talked about such structures, and you also see that in the Netherlands. And what they had was uh, these uh, town hall meetings, uh, seven to eight people uh, got together, and then somebody from another local structure came in and told about their experiences. So maybe, you know, five towns down the road, they may have uh, other experiences. So that was a very good uh, overview they had. Uh, I think that's an interesting structure. Uh, we had uh, Basis, the party that gives us a lot of uh, many possibilities. Uh, and there are many uh, regional chapters being formed now. And there are other possibilities of community. And they can work differently as well. And I do think that we have to have a kind of uh, federal umbrella or whatever you'd like to call it, which encourages them to do their own thing on a local level and learn from each other and help each other. Um, that is something that can be organized, but that somebody comes up and said, we need a rules and you have to follow these rules. That's not going to be possible anymore. Yeah, that would be the wrong approach, and that's dangerous, too, because uh, you have time and again people who have a huge new network uh, uh, with I don't know what kind of uh, resources, and you uh, have all kinds of alarm bells ringing when you see that, and you wonder, you know, who is in on that. It costs money and del delays the processes. It has to grow up. That's typical about democracy. It comes bottom up. But it's going faster now, much faster now than it used to. There's one point I'd like to ask. Uh, now many people um, are kind of uh, looking away. There's Vanguard and the poor people at the bottom, but I'm rich as well. And I have got my money in the, in the bank and uh, it's not going to hit me so hard. So these people have to be enlightened as well, haven't they? Absolutely. Because uh, what we will see is what I have already described. Uh, many of the SMEs will go under, and also what we've heard just now, uh, the supply chains are being disrupted and destroyed. Uh, lots coming our way. This, and then, of course, uh, the food. 
uh, inflation uh, in the food sector is much bigger than the overall inflation rate. If you look at the official uh, inflation uh, index, it's 11% for pastime activities and 10% for food. Imagine that. So only one-tenth of your income uh, of this entire basket is actually referring to food. Uh, and you know that uh, there it is not 7%, but more like 15%. And this is being pushed, and uh, they have a clear plan in the background. So you have the supply chains that don't work properly, and then with all of these microchips that cannot be delivered, the car industry uh, gets them first because the agricultural machinery you know, comes in second, and that, of course, has catastrophic results for the future. And then we have a huge lack of fertilizers, um, and because the raw materials for these fertilizers come from Russia, so there is a major lack. And uh, then we had a number of droughts. Uh, but that's a smaller point. The main point is that in the background, they're trying very hard uh, to enforce these problems in the supply of food. And that coming together with the inflation, uh, and then, of course, the prices for food will go through the roof. And if that happens, then uh, you will have people plundering. Uh, they will be looting uh, companies La Reve, Aldi. Uh, you know, they're beginning prepared for that. They have plans now uh, how to protect themselves against will cause social unrest. Why? Well, uh, they want to have the big plan of the Great Reset, uh, Klaus Schwab said it. Uh, we have to get through uh, this term of unrest until we have the new order. So take a look at uh, that book by Klaus Schwab. But the main point, it's difficult to read, but the main point is clear. And um, this is also the context of these uh, stupid, you have to say, intention to uh, reduce uh, nitrogen and and get the farmers to reduce um, to give up 30 percent of their soil and hand it over to the state i mean it's of course obvious to every idiot that um, this is going to lead to less food i i see that this is a worldwide um, intent we get to the lockstep again and again trudeau in canada uh, is telling the same story all of a sudden exactly. Trudeau, you know, like the guy from Holland, uh, it's exactly the same story. Klaus um, Schwab, you know, he, he describes that with Trudeau, you know, his Minister of Finance. She used to be from the left, uh, somebody critical of the financial system, very critical of everything. And now she's one of the worst. I mean, she wants all of these authoritarian um, measures to be implemented. She used to be a bestseller. Um, author, and uh, you know that could have been from Michel Shostakovsky, but now the contrary. Um, it's incredible how somebody has uh, you know changed uh, direction so quickly. She just rose her rose her price a bit. I wanted to tell you about a phenomenon. I heard that uh, in some places uh, you can't buy mustard anymore because of the uh, Ukraine 
difficulties because all of a sudden there is no mustard because the mustard supposedly comes from the Ukraine and and uh, people think oh god how bad is it that we don't have mustard anymore they have these uh, phenomenon. All of a sudden, you know, there is no linseed, there is no, no, no um, uh, sunflower oil, and incredible that this is something that will make people feel unrest. Well, no cigarettes would be an idea, wouldn't it? <clears throat> yeah, in the U.S., it's baby food. Uh, that was even worse. Okay, that's the next level then. <clears throat> Well, I think uh, what is we can recognize here in the situation is that people are hesitant still and say, yes, but everybody is sort of lethargic and, and people are a bit sleepy. Some of them have resigned already because they say, what the heck, you know, why should we even bother? But look at what's happening in the next few months to come. We see people who simply uh, don't want to hear any of that stuff anymore because they find it a little bit too heavy for them. But in the next few months to come, we will have difficulties. So those people who are a bit um, on the lazy side now will wake up when they lose their job, when they lose their money, they will notice it. And then they think, yes, I am affected myself by this crisis. And that, in turn, is an opportunity because it's a chance for people to actually wake up and act. So this fall, we will have the loss of trust in politicians. Well, the tipping point has two sides to it. It's one is the Big Bang, and it's the moment of decision. We're going to see if they are in control or whether it's an illusion, which I think is true. And are many of the people going to take their head out of the sand and say, I look the thing in the eye. That's the moment of truth, and that's the moment when we have to be on the stage. Wolfgang was already right with his idea. We have to set up these regional structures. You can't infiltrate them anymore because they're small enough. They are independent because there's no global organization on top of them. And meanwhile, their system will break down. They may prevent it a bit and extend it a bit, <clears throat> and maybe that's why they may want to come up with that food shortage um, to keep up the system a bit more uh, because they're not really done yet. But in truth, this is has to be seen as the whole picture. It's not only COVID. It's not only Ukraine. It's the food um, shortage as well. It's the global warming idea. All of that has to be seen as the whole picture. And as you mentioned, in the end, we have a video on that, a very good interview with two Canadians, two doctors. One is a doctor from Ontario who is in Mexico at the moment. He see, both of them see the whole picture, and that gives us hope if they see it, others, and not only us, will see it as well. If I may ask one final question. If we can assume that this financial crush is the aim of all of these activities, why is it uh, haven't we received that crash yet? I mean, uh, are we more stable than we thought? We, mm, we are in uncharted territory. 
what happened in the last 20 years is unique in history that a financial system is artificially kept up alive for such a long time. That wasn't foreseeable whether they could do it. I know many people who are very well uh, knowledgeable in the system and they wouldn't have given it two, three years in 2008. But I do know people who said in 71 when the dollar was disconnected from the gold, they gave it six weeks. Uh, so it was much more resistant than that. But uh, I do think, well, go ahead. A friend of mine told me that he never believed any of the stuff that the economists say. My question is this, why, why don't we simply keep printing money, uh, you know, and if it's not enough, we just print more? Well, it's a devaluation, which is starting now. And if you print too much and give it to the people, it gets less and less valuable. And that's what we had in 22 in Germany, 1922. My grandfather um, uh, got his uh, wage with the wheelbarrow to the food um, uh, shop, and he knew two hours later he would need two wheelbarrows for the money. So the point of this discussion is that uh, we allow people to use that money someplace. Um, so it stays with a few people who keep it. And that is something that we allow to happen. Printing is one bit, but that there are people who actually hoard the money, who have monopolies, who can build, buy land. Uh, how can the state allow that, that individuals can buy so much land? So isn't there like a, a monopoly commission that would uh, prohibit that? Well, we have all that, but they are on the other side as well. You see that in the health industry, all agency, and you've said it again and again yourself, all agencies belong to the other side. They lie to us, the PI, the RKA, and all the people involved in that. And we are obedient. If they say there it is, uh, you know, uh, you know, just like in Greece, philosophy, you know, in all the toilets they say flush Bill Gates. I mean, these are this is these are our fish. This is our stuff that we believe in. You know, it's not money. It's fish. It's land. It's real people. It's a community. And all of a sudden they say, this belongs to some kind of investor. And then he comes in with a private army and sh shoots them all dead or what? But people starve? That simply is not possible. What about the patents? Japan went, were so strong because they simply never recognized any foreign patents and they simply copied everything. We allowed that. How can there be patents on medical drugs? So we, we can't say we will simply copy that, we protect you. I think these laws make it that uh, we uh, are getting our stuff stolen from us by the monopolies. And that's why these trusts are more and more and they keep expanding. And even if uh, we have kind of uh, a reform of the currency, this will never stop. Well, the problem is simple. Of course, there are these laws and there are these patents, but they only work as long. <coughs> Let me remind you of the picture of the plank, as long as we respect it. We are the people. If we get off the plank, the guy will drop. Yeah, you're right. That's a very good imagery. That's exactly how I feel. 
Maybe one last point. There is a big fear of war, which is quite right to have. Um, what they're doing it, uh, the Ukraine creek was uh, heated up. Uh, we know that our government gave up a hundred million. The EU is pumping in uh, 500 billion. We know Nancy Pelosi, the leading politician in um, <clears throat> The U.S. will go there. That's a big provocation in Taiwan. They're trying to open a second war, and many people fear the big third world war, which will then be staged in uh, Europe with a big uh, nuclear war. I want to stop people in this. You have to look at the economical background. The economical background of all of this is that by the pharmaceutical industry, they made massive money, kept up the system, and now it's the military companies coming in. Um, they make money like uh, nothing before. And again, it's BlackRock, Vanguard, and Co. making the money, putting in money, and uh, this money won't be um, made anymore if they um, turn Europe into a nuclear desert. I don't think there's a big, a big nuclear war, but I do think that this is going to be hosted <clears throat> to get people into panic. And I do see all sides helping, the NATO, Russia, China, they scare their people just as we, as ours do. Every press conference, be it Beijing, be it Washington, or be it Moscow, Brussels, everywhere. The other side is um, said that they should could use the weapons. I would say, people, keep calm. I don't want to say anything good about war. It's bad as it is. What's going on in Ukraine? It's horrible if that's going to spill over to south uh, east, uh, south China. To see, but I don't, don't think we're threatened by a nuclear war. I think so too. And I believe that uh, when you say they're pushing for war, they're pushing for war, and the others too, they're all the same. The ones who pull the strings, they're all the same. And we have different national interests, but at the, in the long run, it's always the same. The background is the digital financial complex. It's the big, big companies. China is in it full. They're in the WEF. They've developed the plans. They are all involved. That's one who provokes. The other picks up on that provocation with please, with happiness. Um, so they so they play chess uh, being on uh, being black and white at the same time. It wasn't different in the past. Um, in the First World War, Second World War, it's always been like that. And we also remember, we know that from one of the investigative journalists, everybody thought that uh, WEF was founded by Klaus Schaab as a European idea. Now we know it's not true. The WEF was founded because Klaus Schwab's father was sent to Harvard and he met Henry Kissinger and uh, in a CIA finance program, he was prepared for his job in Europe because the CIA or the foreign policy of the US with the aid of the CIA uh, changed their approach towards Europe. Before that, it was nuclear deterrence, but then they said, no, 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 we keep that up. Uh, possibly together with the Russians, but this idea of fear has always been there. And the real intention between all of this 
game of risk was uh, to influence the policy, and that's why they built up Klaus Schwab to found the WEF. Almost didn't do it because nobody was interested, but then eventually he had the right power. Uh, and then in 1992, he founded Young Global Leaders. And since then, we see people that uh, uh, you know we never wanted, but they all come out of the same production machine. And to keep people calm, they have this idea of the conspiracy theory so that um, nobody asks any questions. So that's how they can stop the questions, by their propaganda. But um, we are not being affected by that. I don't care if they call me Nazi or right-right Nazi, whatever. Anything else, Ernst? Very good. I was happy to welcome you here. Thank you very much. Oh, you guys have still, still have questions? No, no. Okay. Stay here, stay with us if you have time. If you don't, don't worry. Okay, so we move on to the next guest, who is Dr. Roman Brown. He's Doctor of Psychology, Master of Educational Sciences, and NLP Master Trainer, Specialist for Propaganda and Bestseller. Author, The Power of Rhetorics, NLP, an Introduction, Communication as Leadership Tool. In the past 30 years, Dr. Brown was um, involved in a lot of propaganda on the other side, economically and politically. He talks about the possibility to um, recognize propaganda independent of the subject of the structure. The subject is interchangeable, but the procedure is always the same. The cause is also recognizable in the um, media communication during Corona, but he's seeing a different approach now from an analysis of the um, current topics. He can deduct the goal of the current commentation. Welcome, Dr. Brown. Yes, hello. I'm, I'm just wondering where I, what I got into now. Uh, I must say that whatever I've heard so far is something that I find very pleasant, and I wonder what I can contribute because I heard it all, and and also uh, the discussion we just had with Mr. Ernst Wolf uh, that was very interesting. Well, um, he just concentrated on economics because that's what concerns people at the moment. Uh, breakdown of supply chains, energy as well, and the risk of war, the danger of war. But the real point, and we found that out again and again, is why does it all happen? Why are people? Uh, why do people allow it to happen? One reason is psychology. We talked to Professor Desmond. We're going to talk to Professor Brigham again from the US. Um, psychological terrorism is what I call it. And the second point is the vehicle, the transport medium for this uh, psychological terrorism, which is the mass media and the politicians. But propaganda? Well, uh, it's called marketing nowadays, but this is about propaganda, isn't it? Absolutely. There's uh, almost uh, no difference between manipulation and propaganda because 
manipulation you see in every uh, human interaction and you cannot not manipulate uh, we always have good intentions good desires we wish for the best uh, also for the other and we think that we have the good ideas and we want to implement them and influence is part of the game that's fine in inter-human uh, interaction but uh, propaganda is if you have an asymmetry so if you have an elite of power uh, that with a snip of the fingers can uh, get uh, an army of university professors and uh, psychologists and uh, they work with the right steering instruments and then you have the politicians who exert that power harnessing uh, the knowledge of uh, these groups and this asymmetry is so strong uh, if it is then wrought upon society so in austria uh, we had the uh, text uh, leak uh, or text message leak and and Turbel, that's what they call it. Uh, ah, uh, the Hoipoloi. The Hoipoloi is seen as the individual and is individualized and uh, cannot be distinguished from the, the next one, the riffraff. And and I identify with this or that group, and this is the brand I buy, and this is the belief I share. And this is where I link my uh, mental faculties. And as an individual, I am uh, confronting an elite of power that has a lot of uh, steering potential and knowledge. And the question is, what is this uh, propaganda aimed at? Where are they trying to move us into? So I'm, I'm very happy um, just now. Professor Wolf talked about it. I think it's uh, the interest of the power elite. And in its uh, obvious since March of 2020 that they try to instill fear in us. Uh, a very uh, uh, important professor Bielefeld uh, said power is justified uh, to absorb insecurity. That was Professor Fluman. And so if uh, power is exerted, then you have propaganda. And there is insecurity if there is uh, war. And first there was the war on terror against the new Islamic State, and then the war against the virus. And, and now it's the war uh, against the war uh, in Ukraine. and. And then it's also the war on global warming. 
In all of these, you use the vocabulary of, of war. And it's very important what Wolf just said, Professor Wolf just said, in everything that we do here, it seems that uh, people, what, what we need to do is we need to lower the threshold of fear. We do the opposite of uh, the mass media are doing. The mass media are trying to instill fear in us. So, I was in a meeting in London, Rockefeller, Rothschild, uh, Kennedy's, I mean, all the power uh, stakeholders met uh, from the field of politics, the economy, the financial world, and they said that war will not enhance uh, the disequality of wealth, but that was the opposite of the First World War. Uh, uh, we always have the example of Krupp Steel or Volkswagen. Uh, there was one company of one industry that was doing fine, but the others were not doing so well. Um, so there, there was a disparity between the big ones and the small ones. So the main aim of the elite of power is uh, to have this feeling of war uh, so if people are in fear so we can easily say we sent this and this amount of funding for uh, armed support uh, to here and There's an audio glitch at the moment. So the disadvantages are being overcome by propaganda. Just a moment, Mr. Brown. There seems to be a sound problem at the moment. Now it may have gone. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you well, fine. Okay. We try again. What I said was that we want to have this uh, atmosphere of war without actually sensing the real disadvantages of a hot war. And right now they're still playing with Corona. Uh, not so long ago I had an interview with Robert Stein, the Stein site, and, and I said in this interview, if if Omicron doesn't work to instill fear, then they will have to come up with a war. And, and so Omicron was not in focus anymore, and now everybody's talking about the war. How do you assess this um, embedded uh, monkeypox uh, narrative? Is that an idea to uh, fire it up again? Yes, of course. Harry Chester said it. Uh, he, he's the technical director of CNN. And, and they caught him out. And investigative general uh, invited him on a date using Tinder. And Charlie Chester said, we, with Corona, you know, we, we, we just, we're beating a dead horse with Corona, so we have to come up with something new. Uh, so global warming is the same. 
so we need something else to make people be afraid i i saw that interview on facebook and and lauterbach just said it he 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 would believe the same I think uh, health topics are really worn off now. It's ridiculous if I see what that means. Uh, maybe it's a way to get rid of Lauterbach. He's not important anymore then, if we don't have to do the health campaign anymore, but only with uh, jokes like uh, monkeypox, uh, Lauterbach is a joke as well. So that, that may do away with him. Um, I always um, wonder that you're talking about elites um, it's NLP uh, that we call them elites. Um, so we create an image in our heads. Don't you have a better word for these people who are trying to uh, do away with us here? All right. Uh, good. We need to agree on another term instead of elite. Okay, if they call us the refraff, we can use another word for them if you want to. Well, it is important for the understanding of the concept that they themselves consider uh, themselves as a privileged class. And whenever there you have a privileged class in human history, uh, the problem started. And the same happens in the medical field, good example. Dr. Roberts, if I may ask you. Well, uh, in the beginning of the 19th century, they had a doctor by the name of Cartwright, just like the guy from Bonanza. And this was supposed to be a, a, an illness of the mind, a mental disease, uh, that only black slaves got. It was just this great uh, urge to run away. So they called that as monkey, monkeypox. Well, yes. Well, you may have some ideas on that and come up with new things then, anyway. But well, the medical field has been instrumentalized. And in a, in a basic culture, you always the chief and the medicine man. Because uh, the, if the medicine man said that the chief is uh, obsessed or possessed by some other being, uh, he can be removed. So uh, the medicine man always had power. How can one detect whether something is propaganda or not? Usually, it's not like we know it from the Second World World War or the Third Reich that somebody who looks like a, a joke today uh, screams of a stage. It is a bit more smart today, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. They're very smarter in their approach now. On the one hand, it's a masterpiece the way they're doing it now. 
uh, to globally influence so many people at the same time. But the principle is always the same. So you have the, the, the dra dramatic triangle. So you have uh, the victim on the one hand, then you have the perpetrator, and and every every cruelty that is being performed uh, then will also have the third one in the triangle, the savior. And like the Americans did, you know, they always uh, violated human rights and, and then they invite, invade a country. So you have to have a threat, a real threat, and say you are all victims. And that's why we will save you doing the following. And, and you can do whatever you want. So uh, the savior could be the lockdown, the virus is the perpetrator, the people are the victims, and so on. So, so Putin is the perpetrator, uh, Ukraine is the victim. So uh, again, you know, he can turn off the gas supply and therefore it works the other way around. So uh, from their perspective, it's just the opposite. So next um, threat is global warming. So uh, the savior would be electric car now, because if not, everybody else is being victimized. Well, and there's this discussion that is uh, being forced now that the, these viruses are from the laboratory, it doesn't change the narrative. Um, wherever these dangers come from, we are the victims and they save us. That's the rule. Just let's discuss whether they are real viruses or not. They don't care. They don't care a shit. The main point is that we are scared. And the longer we discuss what viruses are, and if these are viruses, the better for them, because the longer we will keep the fear up. We are to fight about this. Whether there is breakthroughs, whether maybe there's more dangerous viruses from the vaccines, whatever dangers there are, they are going to save us and they are going to tell us where to go. So it's just a perpetuation with variation. That what we that's what we're seeing. Absolutely, yes. The scheme um, um, is um, the the roles are exchangeable. Uh, what you said is a pseudo discussion, <clears throat> which is sparked here, um, checking the situate the positions, and then you can decide uh, which which uh, which side you want to take. But there is nothing else to think about, or that you should think about. So that's a way of deception, really. <clears throat> In this mass formation theory um, of Matthias Desmet, which has its critics, um, critics who I think can be um, taken seriously, Dr. Peter Breton, for example, he says, no, it looks as if the people here are stripped of their autonomy, as if one would think that they are solely members of a mass who have no own ideas 
and no, no will of their own. And, and that's a serious point of criticism, uh, that by this theory, it is um, it is um, said that there is nobody who starts this. So it's all um, fault of the uh, mass, and even the leaders of the mass are convinced of that. That's a valid criticism, as I think. And what you said as well shows propaganda is not taken from, it's not plugged from, from the air, but somebody sets up a an army of psychologists and physiologists and media people to think up the scheme and to implement it. So it is not out of the blue. <clears throat> so you're not a psychiatrist or psychologist, or are you? No, no, I'm not. So how do you assess this? <clears throat> well, quite clearly, the preparation uh, to enable mass uh, formation is uh, four factors. And the basic factor is the unwell-being of the people in culture. And that has increased over the 20th century. And this has to do with two ways of, um, of uh, wrong ideas. Uh, two two problems of errors. One thing is, um, I think there is a tiger in the bush, and it's not. The other error is, I don't think there's a tiger in the bush, and there is one. Um, we don't belong of the first type. We are um, of those who rather see the tiger in the bush. So we are easy to scare, and we have great fantasy. And with this fantasy, we can think of any disaster that may threaten us. Uh, just think of a nightmare you've had. However absurd it may be, it does scare us. Neuro, neurologically measurable. And the more we are able to um, get into the fear, the easier we will be controlled. So you can be afraid of a tiger that you see, or you can think of things that scare you, like Putin marching into Austria. Uh, so there is a concrete fear, and there is a constructed fear, and uh, the effect of both are the same. And if I have this fear, constructed fear, for a long time, it will be my new normal. And that is when you talk about a, an um, undirected fear. It is an anxiety. It's just uh, not feeling well in your being. And, uh, then it only needs very little to update this and move it into a certain direction. And uh, I need the fear, the feeling of senselessness. Um, there is a book on bullshit jobs, and there's only two types of work. Uh, um, 
real jobs or fake jobs? And a fake job, I know at some point in time, even if I go to the office or home office every day, I know nobody needs me, really. Or even worse, my company doesn't know about anybody. Nobody needs what I do. Uh, if I have people in the coaching, and if I said, is there problems, then um, what what do you do in ways of entrepreneurial? And if that people say, if that person says um, that I have made a product which is going to break down in a year, um, and then the person can't motivate to work on themselves to get up in the morning, then I say congratulations, that is a good sign. Um, you should get to a new product. So these are fake jobs. And a good part of our jobs today are fake jobs. And precarious jobs are jobs that are making life work, uh, life more valuable. And if I don't have that in a large part of the population, then the second point is a need is met, which is the lack of sense, <coughs> lack of meaning in life. And now uh, we have two elements and we need that we need more direct the anxiety to get out of it by aggression, um, because it is easier to be furious than afraid. And these conditions are given, and if you are at the levers of power, it is very tempting uh, to uh, not let go of that situation. And it's enough by taking the mass media and giving it them the starting gun to say, now it's really going on. We have a threat of Islamists, and we have the use, the leveling of all media uh, to really get things going. So I don't see a contradiction here. There is the elite, and uh, the elites are at the levers of power, and it is very tempting to pull the starting gun. So Professor Desmet gave a, a reason for that. He said that that is also possible uh, that a mass uh, uh, hypnosis may be engendered by itself. But uh, he also pointed out, of course, that it can be induced by certain interest groups who want to push that. So it's not something that just goes by itself, but it could also be uh, forced upon. Quite right, yes. He, he talked about bullshit jobs as well. But the basic idea or the criticism that is being levered by Peter Bergen, but also by Casino, is that it's basically driven by itself. It's a self-creating mechanism. But in the Third Reich, it uh, was created in itself. And Stalin, uh, under Stalin, it was completely controlled 
But if I don't have a perpetrator anymore, then I don't need to go out on the street to demonstrate. If I don't have a perp, uh, then uh, uh, that I can, you know, hold to account, then I don't need a legal system anymore. But you know that, and you know that, Dr. Brown. We've had uh, some 400 interviews. We know that there are perpetrators because there is the subject of propaganda. Propaganda certainly is not created by itself, but somebody uh, came up with it to use, uh, to harness the propaganda, to put us in a state of fear. And all the things that you have described that lead to this general feeling of ill at being ill at ease, this uh, feeling of unease means uh, that uh, for mass formation is what they call a flea-floating anxiety. And that was created, that is officially created. People were destabilized and disoriented with all that generation bullshit and so on, and stuff like that, that people don't have an identity anymore. Uh, in Germany, it may be worse than in other places, I don't know. But the question is, you know, how can I ask for forgiveness that we've gone through the Third Reich? Nobody's personally responsible because, uh, but it is, you know, you, I'm German, I have to apologize. Um, and there you have that flea floating anxiety. But I would believe you as a psychologist will understand this. Uh, and that's why we mentioned the thesis of Desmond that over some time, maybe two decades, maybe even longer than that, uh, there have been direct ideas uh, to create this state of free floating. Uh, anxiety. I don't know how many people live in single homes in Berlin, 50%, 60-70%, because that is the basis. That is the basis for people. They don't really believe, uh, what am I supposed to be afraid of, so that they finally are shown something they can be afraid of, terrorism the virus. Uh, it's my conviction that uh, they have to create the basis and then they use the machinery to get people to be afraid. And I like this business of, you know, having a savior. I like that. Yes, quite right. Harold Leswell, very interesting person in this respect. In the Second World War, he was with the Americans responsible as chief of wartime communication, very good guy. And he said, if the people are concerned, then what they want to know most is what they should think. And that's what we have to tell them. Um, so um, you have to know who you have to be scared of and whom do you have to hate. And so, for 50 years or 60 years ago, one started to build up a propaganda machinery that, if you get it going, uh, can allow you to give, uh, to split the uh, society. And the method um, was uh, covered by um, a, co a copy from communism. Communism did that with a state of fear um, clustering the topics. So communism took some topics where any common people with common sense would say, 
um, no child works, um, uh, election right for women, good working conditions, things like that. So that was a cluster of topics. And on this cluster, um, they talked about communism and the intellectuals and the artists in the first half of the century were communists. <clears throat> and neoliberalism um, made that movement strong. And in the second half, they improved it. And they created a cluster um, with a rainbow color flag. Uh, with topics, the equality of women, prepare, uh, pre conserving the environment, everybody can think about their gender, um, saving energy, sensible topics, where one say, okay, yes, obvious, and then they add it, and that's why um, what the health minister did, that's why they have the uh, three color, the flea flags. Now, they said lockdown is great, distance is great. It's on the same cluster. And now, if you are of the opinion, yes, equality of women is good. I'm a vegetarian, so that's good. But I don't like vaccinations. This differentiation is only possible um, if you are say if you have to if you want to get out of the vaccinations you have to be against equality of women that's the strategy that was done and it is very successful and one thought one would have caught up all the intellectuals and the artists as well and until somebody came up with the campaign we showed our face so the artists didn't follow <coughs> But it was quite successful, and by that, it was foresee foreseeable that there's going to be a massive split in society. And this is now helpful, again, because it raises the level of fear. So now I uh, don't only hate Putin, um, but I also have to fear those people who are not afraid of Putin. And so I have to hate my neighbors as well as Putin, because they're not afraid of him. And uh, that brings up the separation into each individual home. Well, this confirms basically oh, that part, uh, confirms the theory of the mass formation. Because if that works like that, it means that most people are too weak, basically, too weak to stem themselves against this format. And I, I was always wondering when, wondering when we had the term political correctness. I mean, what else is there except for correctness? So there is correctness and then there is what you call lie. Uh, I always hated that term. I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not part of that scheme. The Catholic Church used that already um, with the threefold uh, sensuality, God, Jesus, and Church. And if you don't see it all together, you're not a Christ, a Christian. 
so that this is a criminal organization, or large parts of it at least, really followed that scheme. So you have to believe in all three things, otherwise you won't be Christian. That's exactly the same scheme here. Absolutely right. <coughs> and, and the church, and that's where the propaganda comes from, beginning of the 16th century, after uh, they started to, to deal with the German heathens, uh, and then they, they used the word propaganda for this uh, new type of Bible. And, and the mass formation is a natural phenomenon. It's a natural phenomenon that you have uh, in a spontaneous fashion with certain time restrictions in any place you want. And the stuff that works in propaganda are natural processes that are being instrumentalized. And now they have realized, if it works like that, I can control it and steer it in this or that direction. And if you want to stay in power, uh, you either, you know, stick with the ones who are in power or you do, uh, you know, stick your, your head in the sand. And if you have this approach of critical thinking, uh, you know, this is being described in this third book on ethics, the Spezies Intelligentatis, means that every day you need to have some kind of omnipotent um, point of view, this Olympic vision, to see if everything that you do is actually correct. And there is no such thing as a critical viewpoint anymore. Um, but you have this omniscient vision. And you're not in a position to step back and to say, just a second, who did motivate me to do what? And how was I influenced to act in what fashion? What was the news that uh, I heard? And in which case was it done intentionally to harness my thoughts? And in part, there are people who uh, intellectual are capable of uh, questioning their behavior and their thoughts. But I think we are now in the fourth uh, Copernican turnaround. So first one was with Copernicus himself, who said, no, Earth is not the center of the universe and it was not uh, the dear Lord who created everything. But we are just a speck. Uh, a small planet in a small solar system. So that was the Copernican change over. And then uh, people um, felt belittled by that. Uh, so we were not actually created by God, but uh, in fact, we stem uh, from the ape. Uh, and we are not rational people. That was Freud who told us that uh, many of the things that we do uh, are, are not in our control, but there is a, such a thing as a subconscious. And n now we have this Copernican insult again happening to us, this um, affront saying that the biggest aim of politicians is not to 
look at us in a better fashion than we do ourselves. But they also have their desires and their own interests. And I wouldn't go as far as Bernd Georg, the Swiss philosopher, who said that politicians are the hired assassins of uh, the private sector. But that is the fourth Copernican insult. No, they're not uh, better or worse, but uh, they have their own interests as well. They're not puppet on the puppets on a string. And, and I think that is the fourth uh, insult that we are now feeling as people that uh, we lost control of that too. And it's not this thinking, you know, they know what they're doing. Well, this Copernican insult that there is a conflict of interests that are uh, made transparent, that started 15 years ago in science, that if you publish scientific work, um, you saw, started seeing there is conflict, and uh, then you have uh, the rule that these conflicts are published then, and uh, um, it is mm, avoided wherever possible. And then you noted that neither scientists nor doctors nor anybody else who you trusted in, that they can't be trusted after you trusted them. That is the problem. Now, it doesn't apply, uh, only apply to politicians. It's an awareness that we, in our highly specific, specified society, we are we depend on invest institutions, on administrations, on people who do things for us, who do them well for us, and that we can't do this anymore. It's like abuse by our own parents, and uh, you can. Uh, <coughs> not trust the people that you have to trust in. And that's why it's important to think about how can we live with that. Yeah, like the Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, Professor Miller explained that. If we want to have trust and we want to confide, then of course that trust has to be justified. And it's only then justified if it is transparent, if we can control what is being done and in terms of the capacity that we have, um, it is not on. We simply cannot uh, look up every little detail. The country is too big. Maybe in a small community we can, but not in the whole country. So whoever has these thoughts uh, will eventually get back to the system of subsidiarity that you've had, come back to, down to structures that you can understand and see and trust, and that we structure it in such a way that we have trust that is justified. And this would be the key to a sustainable development of society. But we don't have the right structures for that in Germany, and it's also not something that's being taught in the textbooks. Well, this is coming up now. Before, well, well, what I wanted to add is there is still a lot of work to be done. We have quite a bit uh, ahead of us. And there is a generation of people who are developing their conscience. And 
we may not be able to uh, live to see this, but I remember an IT historian at, uh, from MIT, because you have large uh, quantities of data, and he looked uh, at these data over a number of millennials uh, of thousands of years. Where was the um, cradle of democracy? And apparently, there were democracy bubbles in the past. And the elite of power had never been interested in an increase of democracy. And, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes there were more, sometimes there was less democracy. So if there was a conflict in uh, the elite in Greece, it was like that. You had uh, the aristocracy. And, uh, you know, we don't use our slaves in a case of war because we don't know if they will be loyal if we get them back. And then there were the technocrats. Uh, they then uh, introduced uh, limited democratic models. And if uh, the promises of the elites of power to the hoi polloi was not credible anymore, or if uh, the hurdles were too high. And it was like that in old communism. So you had to put a soldier behind every worker to make sure that uh, he was doing his job. So like Ernst Holzbauer described it, with digital money, central bank money, you have uh, the basic supply of the central bank, <coughs> but could be such a way that you go through the supermarket and according to how well you have behaved, uh, you know, you can buy certain products and other products will be not available to you because you don't have enough social benefits. And if that is being implemented, then the political control, the costs of uh, suppression will be as cheap as ever before in human history. So in certain, with a certain algorithm, people like us can be stopped from speaking their word. So we don't be able to get a train ticket or bus ticket. We won't be able to leave the house. We won't be able to buy certain things. So if that is being implemented, and I believe if I read the propaganda right, it goes in that direction. You have to have a state of emergency for such a long time, virus, war, global warming, what have you, until you will actually be dependent on the digital money and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, everybody will be caged and we don't have free range people anymore. Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, Václav Havel, he said once, he, he kept the Czechoslovakia active because he uh, didn't want to have a counterculture. And this counter society, and for a counter society, you have, have to have a counterculture. And we always made sure that in our counterculture and counter society, we were better off than the others. That was always important. It's a beautiful book by Vaslav Havel where he writes about the people who are powerless. And he, he writes about this principle. 
So, in spite of being very serious about that, and uh, it's always good to hear these uh, critical voices. I do agree. That is crucial, the positive mindset. It's not uh, calling out in the forest. We're trying to work fact-based as well. That's why we talk to people like you. At this opportunity, you have mentioned two things um, that we have clips to I would like to play. So one thing is what's going on with the politicians? We can't depend on them anymore, as Wolfgang has just said. And for an example, for the total madness, hybrid, a mini clip again from Mr. Arari, a pseudo historian and very crazy and a very funny thing with people in the public TV uh, playing a monkey show by trying to gender it out that the audience who that are in control uh, drop off. Let's look at that. Uh, so we need uh, perfect to the point. If you depend on politics and politicians, you'll be left alone, let down, and Yuval no Harari. Harkiri, yes. <laughs> and the third is gender still stupid. If we can have these things, please, then I think we get a, a good overview of it. That's why I'd like to thank at this time of time Mr. Lauterbach, Mr. Habeck, Mr. Scholz, Mrs. Baerbock. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart that you. Uh, actually force the people to such a way that uh, they simply obey and they know that this is only their own responsibility and that we don't really need you because we do not rely on you we can't depend on you if you if we depend on you we are lost isn't that great fantastic the only thing God managed to create are organic uh, beings all these trees and giraffes and humans, they are just organic. But we are now trying to create inorganic entities, inorganic life forms, cyborgs, artificial intelligence, and so forth. If we succeed, and there is a very good chance we will, then very soon we will be beyond the God of the Bible. Herzlich willkommen, herzlich willkommen, ihr Welcome, dear female students, dear students, uh, students, male students, people learning, and the teachers, the te female teachers, the male teachers, the teaching staff. I hope I got everybody, and it's not that somebody should feel, feel left out. It's a part to show that Germany has no other problem than this. How can they so much focus on uh, gendering? Well, uh, that's clearly an opinion. And my question is uh, on this, um, what is your opinion to gendering after the discussion? I think it's great. I think it's stupid. I still think it's great. I don't think it's needed or I have no opinion. The top bar says, by the way, I don't think it's necessary. And I like gender and gendering is very important is at the bottom. 
Nobody seems to think it's great. So I think this is a call to do this again, to try and convince people in a year. Well, nobody seems to like gendering very much. A little bit, still at the top, everybody thinks it's not necessary. However, that means we'll have to have the discussion to how to get that change forward. In the committees and the male and female students and people who learn um, don't say we want it. All right, that was so crazy. Uh, the, 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 the craziness that was mentioned by the actress at the beginning, I mean, this is just being shown in real life uh, in the following sequel. Well, on that last contribution, that's a very good example, uh, gendering, um, which of these uh, 72 genders you can have, do you really have? Well, that is something really to distract anybody, any adolescent from political topics. They're in the phase of uh, finding out who they are, and you can take a whole generation and um, move them away from the real topics that they should look at talking to us. Um, this is a, an example of atomization. Um, so I asked them, one of the 72 are you? Um, the question is not what's being done with us at the moment. And uh, Mr. Harari's, um, I've got an even worse video where he openly says, probably you've uh, shown this as well, where he says explicitly, we are now producing bodies, robotic bodies and mind, AI, and that means we are not going to need the cheap workers, the cheap labor anymore. So the question is, what do the people with their useless lives, as he calls it, and then he says, what do they do with their worthless lives? And well, food's not going to be a problem. We're going to feed them somehow. But psychologically, our solution seems to be drugs and video games. That's what he says in that video. I po posted it on Facebook. <clears throat> I quoted him once, saying this Israeli philosophy and WEF chief advisor. And then I was said, so you are an anti-Semite. You're anti-Semitic. Well, you, you says he's a Jew. I don't say that. But now, it's the Indian philosophy, and I get people to be to correct me. Yeah, this is really a horrible thing. It's embarrassing. Just imagine that. It has it's completely dehumanized this point of view. The question is, are they real people? Is that human anymore? I mean, any kind of human aspect is being lost. Unfortunately, there are people like these around, and we have to put up with them. Well, people are like that. We are like that. There are those who 
in, 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 in some tribes, uh, natural tribes, the word for man in the sense of humankind is only for those that belong to their own tribe. So who is being seen as a, a man, uh, mankind, is only whoever belongs to your innermost circle, to your group. So people are like that from the very beginning, and things have not really been improving very much. And it hasn't really gotten any better. That's something that we have to um, agree to. Uh, final remarks on that, if I may. In Hebrew, the word for man, in terms of human, that uh, somebody uh, that is used for somebody who is a very good person. I think that's very nice. And Desmet said, uh, Kirsten Ostenfels also mentioned that that the critical point there was that these individual components or the, the fact that you're being bought or that you are uh, uh, being led on and this aspect i think is important those that go along are not only part of mass hypnosis but uh, they also may have their very own interests at heart uh, you know, they are sitting by the table of the WEF to, to get some of the breadcrumbs, perhaps. So, but this is not contradicting the, the thesis, but it's just uh, another take on it. Well, there is uh, winners in the war against viruses. Absolutely. Well, we have to, if uh, we didn't miss anything, important uh, and there's one more point you want to make we have to proceed to the next guest mr brown anything else no i feel that uh, you've listened to me i i feel heard thank you very much for having me and i wish you all the very best thank you we enjoyed it very interesting discussion thank yeah, it was you great fun i'm with msg and uh, these are the people from Basis, and I know that our mood is a better one than that in other places. Have a great weekend. Thank you. To you, too. Okay. English, we have Dr. Robert O. Young. He's a naturopath, nutritional expert, and author. His most popular works are the PH Miracle series of books which outline his view about holistic healing and an alkalarian lifestyle. He's going to talk to us about graphene-based nanowires, scaffolding, and pathological blood clotting leading to injuries and death. Also about the receiving and transmitting of this nanotechnology once implanted into the animal or human and connected via the Wi-Fi grid and Skynet. Also about his research on pleomorphism and how it relates to the health problems and treatments of today. And about post-COVID outfections diagnosed as ILD or in interstitial fluid lung disease, which is not idiopathic.
Um, Robert, I uh, apologize for keeping you waiting for 15 minutes, but I hope you're still with us. I am. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share, uh, and uh, it's nice to to meet you and and uh, your uh, esteemed colleagues. So thank you for having me on your show. Thanks for taking the time. We spoke once before. It's about a year ago or so. We had a relative of a high-ranking politician from the Middle East with us back then. I don't know if you remember that. Wow, I, I think we both have spoken to so many people, yeah. it's hard to remember every, everyone. But yes, uh, uh, I, 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 I vaguely remember that, but yeah. uh, thank you. I think Wolfgang was with us as well. Um, so um, we will, at the end of this uh, session today, we will have a clip <clears throat> of um, another, uh, of an American doctor um, who I believe explains about how a hundred years ago, the playing field was completely exchanged. Up until then, there were nat naturopaths and holistic medicine and all that. And then all of a sudden, uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I, I know this is uh, this is a, an oversimplification, but all of a sudden, the pharmaceutical industry was introduced by the usual players. Uh, the man, the doctor. I think it's an he. He too is a naturopath. Is Peter Glidden? I don't know if you if you um, if you know who he is. Uh, I, I know of him, but I don't know him personally. Okay. Well, um, so uh, what is it? I know everyone is worried, deeply worried about graphene. You're talking about uh, graphene-based nanowires and, and all these nanoparticles. What do they do? Well, uh, they have the ability to cross any sort of uh, barrier. So there's, there's no restriction, blood-brain barrier, uh, uterine ovarian barriers any barriers that are that are placed as the protection to that particular gland or organ uh, nanotechnology uh, which begins at 100 uh, uh, nanometers and goes down when we're looking at graphene we're talking about uh, the thickness of one atom uh, the the graphene sheets uh, are below the 35 uh, nanometer range which uh, which we're talking one one billionth of, of a meter when we're speaking about this, and I do have some some micrographs actually showing this. But the the size of these particulates, uh, and you can only see them using uh, scanning or or transmission electron microscopy. So uh, they can basically go wherever they want. The interesting thing is this material is very very light. I remember when I was playing tennis on the circuit, uh, we were using at that time graphene tennis rackets. And when graphene came out uh, as a material, uh, it was strong uh, and it was light. And I, I was uh, I was quite impressed with these graphene rackets. Now we're using it in uh, the biomedical world as a material that acts as a base. It could be either one or two or three dimensional You could, because of its uh, matrix it can attach other particular elements and so uh it's hexagonal in shape it's one atom in thickness uh therefore it can go anywhere it wants in the body and it can carry any particular material uh for identification purposes uh and it becomes the, then 
uh, or for treatment purposes. So it becomes the perfect material to literally target uh, specific organs and glands. Uh, and, and that is, that is uh, you may be surprised, but that is the result of tagging this graphene and its attachments uh, with the driver. And the driver is a vector of uh, genetic material. It can be of RNA or DNA composite, but uh, a lot of people don't realize that this material uh, that they're using is driven uh, by a driver, and that driver is the is the multi or uh, modified uh, genetic material RNA. If they're driving it specifically, let's say to the reproductive organs or to the heart, they can be very specific as it relates to driving that material. And having been involved with using RNA and DNA as a, a anatomical element to drive specific vitamins, minerals, and cell salts. That's science that has been around for many, many years. Uh, another researcher besides myself, uh, Dr. Uh, Roya Lee, was doing targeted uh, uh, products uh, using bovine glandulars of genetic materials. So it's, it, it, it's no surprise to me that they're the, the, this material, over 50%, based upon the revelation of the companies, uh, particularly Pfizer, and, and in their uh, notes and, and testing, that over 50% of the, the material that's being packaged in a, in a, in a nanolipid capsid is being driven by genetic material, specific from cell lines that are coming from from uh, reproductive organs. So if I attach a genetic RNA of, or DNA of reproductive, let's say from uh, uh, ovary source, uh, I can drive the material directly there. And this, is, this has been shown and we've shown it using radioactive isotopes to actually determine where this material is actually going. So I can either use it for healing or I can use it uh, for other uh nefarious reasons if i want to use it as a sterilization uh so you know destroying let's say the capacity of of uh reproduction i could target the ovaries i could target the the gonads and i could target them specifically using cell lines from those specific and genetic materials from those specific glands and then i could attach to that a a uh, nanolipid capsid containing graphene. Graphene would be the material that is that is not, not that is highly magnetic. It's uh, it it acts as and has been seen by many researchers over the last 20 years as being the best material as a biosensor. And so they're using this material to actually uh, receive and transmit uh, electrical magnetic frequencies. And these mag, mag, yeah. So this this is quite a bit of information in 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 the uh, introduction. But the most important thing to remember is graphene is being used as a base to deliver other particular, uh, let's say, elements. Let's say uh, titanium dioxide or aluminum, copper, whatever it is. For and and so it's the best material because of its lightness and uh, its construct to be able to deliver other types of uh, elements or drugs to specific areas. Uh -huh. 
And so this is why I believe that Pfizer and Moderna has chosen this, this format to be able to drive the, the package or the, the, the graphing to specific areas. So that's kind of a, a lengthy introduction, but hopefully uh, you may have some additional questions. I have the question: Have you been? How have you been able to prove the uh, this content that uh, graphene graphene is in there? Uh, we've been we've used uh, direct uh, D, DES direct energy uh, spectroscopy. Uh, mm -hmm. That is in the published paper, which was just released today. On uh, the the name of the paper, and I'm happy to provide this paper for you. It was peer reviewed, mm -hmm. uh, and and I can show you that if you want me to share my screen i can show you some of the uh the spectroscopy some of the microscopy uh and and i can see if i can do that now if that if that uh, that's fine yeah we'd be yeah. very very interested in this yeah so this is this is an article that has been in the works for uh well, since 2020, the major work started in 2021 when the, the actual vaccines came out. Uh, and I don't know if you can see this or not. Yeah, we can see it. Uh, okay. So the the article uh, has been shortened because the original, original article is over 100 pages mm -hmm. and it has over 100 micrographs in it. Uh, and, and here's... Uh, the methodology, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on the methodology other than uh, I abbreviated uh, what the methodology is. And then the article is called uh, Scanning and Transmission Electron Microscopy Reveals Graphene Oxide uh, and, the, uh, and the Contents of What's in the, These Actual Vaccines. So myself and along with some, some others around the world, we're doing, doing research on this. Uh, I believe this is the first published peer-reviewed journal ar article on this particular subject, uh, and I'm happy to share that with you today. When I'm when I'm looking at blood, and, and I've done this for over 40 years, so this is not something that's new to me, but I, I know what healthy blood looks like. Most people don't know what it looks like, and, and that's problematic. But what I was seeing uh, in the blood of the vaccinated our red blood cells here up in, in up here uh, in the right hand corner, you can see yeah. that healthy red blood cells are even in color, even in shape and even in size. And you can actually see that the serum or the, the vascular fluids are clear. What I was picking up are, and, and this is identified by direct energy uh, 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 spectroscopy. I was viewing what I call cluster bombs of graphene. Now, there's a lot of other ways that this could have entered. Uh, it could have entered uh, through air, uh, through possible chemtrails, or uh, it could have entered through food, it could have entered through water. But I have to note that I'm seeing this in everyone. That I, when I look at a live blood sample, when I put it under phase contrast or dark field microscopy, this is what comes up. What is really disturbing is to the right bottom, you'll see these enlarged red blood cells that have been crystallized, mm -hmm. but also contain graphene oxide, graphene, 
and you can see the blood around that. These are enlarged, and probably a new idea that maybe uh, you could entertain here that I would suggest mm -hmm. is that red blood cells are the primary cells for immunity. Now, if you look in relationship to red blood cells in ratio, it's approximately 5,000 red blood cells to, 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 to every one uh, white blood cell. So it, it, it's significant. But what I see the red blood cells do and what I've documented is they're literally uptaking the graphing that's coming from whatever source. I'm seeing an increase in this from these inoculations. The reason I say these inoculations, because having tested the Pfizer, the Moderna, the AstraZeneca, the, the uh, Novavax, the the Johnson and Johnson, what I've found in, in four of these within the vials themselves are the electron signature of graphene, reduced graphene and, and, and graphene oxide. Uh, so this is, what, this is what is seen then at the cellular level. Now, if you look at some of these uh, tubes, of graphene. Mm -hmm. Look what it does to the blood. Look what's accumulating like a magnet. Mm -hmm. Now graphene has a is is magnetic and so it because it's gra uh, reduced graphene or graphene hydroxide its charge which is negative will attract anything with its opposite polarity. So any, any cell that's been destructed or disturbed through lifestyle or diet, what is seen here in this picture is the accumulation or the clotting of the red blood cells mm -hmm. as if you took a magnet into the blood and literally started collecting the blood. So this is the beginning of the pathological blood coagulation. And this is what my thesis was on when I was asking the question, and the question is this, why does blood coagulate inside the blood vessels? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm happy, I've, I've published this paper, I'm happy to provide this published paper on pathological blood coagulation. It's also a very detailed scientific article that goes into the, to the pathology of this, but it ties directly in to SARS, which is a, a, a severe acute respiratory disease. And, and the reason this is important to understand and why I published that paper is I wanted to declare to the world that this graphene in its nano and macro, because it self-assembles. Here we can see some of the smaller particulates of the reduced graphene. And if we go down a little bit further on the article, we can see some of the threads or the nanowires. We can see the tubes. Uh, this is all, all provided in this document. Even how it interrupts the neutrophilic activity or the white blood cell activity and how it does graphene. And I, I, I show the graphene here and the neutrophil activity literally being poisoned by this as a secondary backup to the red blood cells to adsorb and absorb these particulates 
that should not be there, these foreign matters. So I'm going to make a bold statement here and say any foreign matter from animal or hu uh, human is going to be rejected and the attempt is going to be to eliminate that in the best way possible. This idea of providing immunity, I would suggest, is a scientific false illusion. That immunity is not with the cell, but immunity is within the context or the environment. And what neutrophils do, which makes up two thirds of the white count, they go around and pick up cellular waste, fragments, or environmental toxins, which I call it, I call it bioacid or biotoxins. And they pick, up, pick that up, as well as the red blood cells, which are involved in this as well. This is why we see in oncology, in the administration of chemotherapy, we see a reduction of the red blood cells. We see a reduction of the hemoglobin. We see a reduction of the hematocrit. The reason why is because the red cells are absorbing that chemotherapy and being poisoned and destroyed in of themselves in order to protect the delicate pH balance. This is where pH comes in of the vascular fluids at 7.365 and the interstitial fluids at 8.465. Those are the ideal pHs. So this is what graphene oxide looks from one of the vials using uh, the X-ray diffractometer, which reveals the nature of the crystalline car carbon-based nanoparticles. And uh, so I wanted you to see that. And of course, this is, this is the measurement which is showing in the Pfizer under the, the energy disbursement mic uh, uh, microscopy, the EDS X-ray Micropro actually shows the carbon, the oxygen, and the nitrogen, which is the signature for the graphene. So not only do we morphologically, anatomically identify the graphene, we also using ES, uh, ES, uh, electron scanning, electron microscopy with attached, coupled with EDS X-ray micro, uh, microbe, identifying specifically that signature of that material. One of the other things that I believe, not that it's meaningful per se, uh, was one of the first to actually release, uh, to find and release this, is the increase that we're seeing. And I think, uh, Reiner, you'll be interested in this very much. And, and that's the increase in, in Chagas disease around the world, particularly in North America. And for those that don't know what that disease is, it's caused by a parasite and it is deadly and it's associated with, with heart disease, myocarditis and pericarditis, and it's called the Trypanosoma cusi parasite. This is the reason I believe that all of the vials that Pfizer was producing of the, for the novel corona uh, you know, virus COVID-19 was to preserve the integrity of the parasites by keeping the temperature at a, a negative level wow. so that at body temperature, 
they basically wake up. You don't kill these parasites. You just put them asleep. And at body temperature, this is where I'm seeing parasites, and I've documented that. I don't. I have. I have micrographs of the Trypanosoma cruci, and this is why we're seeing uh, a ten-time increase in diagnostics and also injuries that are being ca caused by this particular uh, parasite, uh, the Trypanosoma cruci. I think I would be wise to keep an eye on this because now they're using the army worm which is in the novavax so parasites is part of the chemical and anatomical biological concoction of these vaccines that i have no idea how this provides any immunity because yes it will increase the activation of the lymphocytes and the neutrophils but why my conclusion of this is the why is when you're being poisoned or you're being infected and injected with toxic chemicals, parasites that are cytotoxic, genotoxic, and magnetic toxic, that this, this here uh, is, is of serious concern. And that's what I've been talking about now for, uh, for quite some time. Uh, some of my micrographs go back into the uh, two, 218, 219, because this, is, this has been going on for some time. One of the phenomenons... Robert, does that mean this has been going on for some time, that this has been included in other vaccines as well? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. In fact, this has been going on since the 80s. Holy shit. Okay. So I got on board in the 80s because, because the same character that was involved with the, with the uh, chemical drug AZT for the treatment of a phantom oh virus called HIV yes. is the same guy that's involved, has been involved with the Ebola, to Zika, to every other, you know, the flu vaccines. Uh, here again, the, the purpose for what I believe this study for corona is to determine the le lethal dose of graphene for the purposes of seeing what the tolerance is of, of the human body to be able to, to let's say, withstand this, this, this highly toxic material and, and, and also how it interacts in the human body and can there be some sort of, of connection between uh, electrical magnetic frequencies? Mm -hmm. That's the next now, the step. reason I'm- who's, who's the, Who is the guy who is involved in all of this? Are you talking about Fauci? Oh, yes, I'm, ta I, I'm talking about Anthony Fauci. That's and what I thought. I'm also talking about Luc Montaner, yeah. uh, but he, he, he flipped. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yes, I do. But he flipped. Yeah, he flipped in, in 2010 and was ex exiled to Shanghai, China. We were on the stage together in 2011 in Milan, Italy, where I spend time and I have a, uh, I have a uh, center there. Did you meet uh, Judy Mikovits there? But I did not meet Judy Mikovits. I met Judy Mikovits later. Yeah. Uh, but but Judy, Judy is a good friend mm -hmm. and... And, and, and I say that sincerely, even though 
we don't agree on everything. We agree on most things, mm -hmm. and, and that's good enough for me. She you told know? me, and and yeah, yeah. So, so her experience is different than my experience, and I respect that highly. Respect mm -hmm. uh, Judy Mikovits, but but my relationship with with Luke uh, <laughs> is that when we were sitting together before we presented in in, in Milan, and, and he was making a presentation not on viruses. Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. He was making a presentation on the benefits of alkaline water and antioxidant and, and hydroxyl uh, radicals, OH minus, and, and the concentration of that in the treatment of disease. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, I said, what are you, what are you doing uh, uh, now? And, and of course he told me this and he presented his, his uh, systems on water and water energy and how it can be the, the miracle for you know, uh, treating various uh, elements. And I said, I agree with you 100%. I said, how are things going at the university? And he says, well, I, I, I've been exiled to, to China. I, I've left. Wow. They, they basically threatened him because he, he, was, he, he changed his position. And that position is HIV does not cause acquired immune deficiency. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And I heard that out of his own mouth with my own ears. Mm -hmm in 2011 so he he survived up another you know uh, another 10 10 11 years and god bless him you know for his courage to come out yeah. uh it was an embarrassment to to the university but it was the right thing for him to do yeah. was to come clean uh bob gallo and and luke who shared that uh, nobel prize uh, he just didn't want to stain his reputation. And when he gained the knowledge about alkalinity and the importance of managing and maintaining the alkaline design of the body fluids and using water and the energy of water as the catalyst to restore health to the cell membranes and to the nucleus, that HIV and Fauci's uh, AZT and now this coronavirus uh, vac vaccine. It's not even a vaccine. It's a, it, it's a targeted, I call it a, a targeted directed bioweapon that is very, very specific. They know exactly where the material is going to go and they know exactly what's in it. I know what's in it. Other scientists uh, that I work with know what's in it. And the base of all of these new drugs uh, whatever they're attaching to it, titanium, aluminum, copper, lead. I've even found stainless steel in these vials. Here again, their intent is to do this same protocol where we have taken an oath to do no harm. What is happening is exactly what I said before this whole disaster happened, that these vaccines and I testified in front of the International Tribunal of Natural Justice in 2000 in the in the uh, summer of 2019 I disclosed this information you know when it when the Wuhan test took place with some 300 cell towers and the release of 5G after people have been inoculated with the flu vaccine the release of 5G technology, okay, in 2000, in the fall of 2019, 
with the injection of the graphene oxide, which is in the flu shots, this links it up. So it acts as a biosensor and a receiver. And I, there's thousands of articles on the biosensory capability of graphene. I mean, all you have to do is Google search it uh, and you'll, you'll see all this. It's just not my work. There's thousands of science. Interesting thing, most of them are coming from China. Most of this is coming out of China, and you'll see, you'll see that uh, they're using this technology uh, for nefarious reasons. And I'm sure you, you, you all are are pretty much aware of some of those nefarious. A lot of rumors, though. Um, nothing concrete yet, but um, there are there is more and more evidence that, of course, this is done for nefarious reasons, in order to control pre people. To it's it's it could be could be um, uh, uh, mind-altering or produce perfect soldiers by way of not letting them feel any pain anymore, not having any empathy. But we haven't, we haven't seen anything concrete as far as that's concerned. Well, with uh, the released documents that are now coming out from Pfizer based mm -hmm. on a judge's order, uh, it, it's pretty evident uh, uh, from what we're seeing, particularly with the vaccines, that they're being specifically directed at women and particularly directed at the female reproductive organs, where over 50% of the contents of the nanolipid capsid is being directed there, graphene, which also may have, it may be multiple, multiple uh, genetic materials driving this. So it ends up uh, 50 to 60% in the reproductive organs, uh, 20 to 30% in, into the heart, and then, of course, the balance of it goes into the brain. And in order to do that, you have to use genetic material from those specific organs. Uh, and here, the, 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 this, this particular jab is, or inoculation is not designed to provide any sort of immunity, period. In fact, anything from my perspective, and I know this is another bold statement, but anything that jacks up the white blood cells, you know, in this whole antibody theory, this whole immunity theory, that immunity is not found in antibodies. Immunity is found in managing and maintaining the alkaline design of the vascular, interstitial, and in the intracellular fluids at very specific pHs. And it's also uh, redox or RP which is the oxidative reduction of those materials, particularly vascular fluids at negative 20 millivolts, interstitial fluids at negative 80 millivolts. And this interstitial fluid, and that's why I wrote this article, Reiner, is that this SARS condition has now flipped. It's no longer SARS, it's now heart disease. So what was going on in 2020, okay, 2020, where we have statistics from the CDC that 30% of all injuries of those reported to, to VARS were lung-related. That's now dropped to 10%. So it's gone from 30% to 10%, and guess what's increased? Heart disease up to over 60% of all injuries and deaths are heart related. And they're all what I call VADES, 
VAID stands for vaccine, okay, acquired immune disease symptomologies. Mm -hmm. because, because we're not dealing with a disease here. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with a systemic and targeted poisoning of the reproductive organs, the heart, and then the connection. And that connection's been made. If you've got a cell phone, all you have to do down, download is find my phone app on an Apple. Mm -hmm. You take that Apple, what it does is it identifies the location of your phone, okay? So what you can do is you can take a ferritin, uh, ferritin uh, cage, okay? And you can determine which frequencies are coming up because if you're by yourself, and you've been, if you've been jabbed and you contain the graphene, the, the, the app on the Apple phone will pick up your IP address in addition to the phone IP. So anyone that's been jabbed, and in, in as far as my statistics, what I've determined that one out of 200 of the inoculations contain the graphene. The rest are placebos. They're just water, salt water. The so second what's the, inoculation. What's the percentage? What's the percentage? It's five percent. Five percent. So we can talk percentages. Five percent. The first inoculation. You don't want to kill everybody off or injure them mm -hmm. initially. The second one is twenty-five percent. So that's why we are seeing these excess deaths increase. Mm -hmm. The booster is 50%. Wow. And but but the, is this, uh, sorry, can I ask you, so is this like the new, a new production line? So they're not using the old uh, vials because they're still sticking around and it's just three no, times the- No, in, in testing each vial in mm -hmm. batches based on their lots, these are the percentages. In other words, if I take, if I have a box of Pfizer mm -hmm. and I'm testing all the vials in there and these are boost for boosters, 75% mm -hmm. of them will contain graphene oxide. So the explicitly says booster. That's why so many after the, the fourth jab, mm -hmm. most people are being injured or dying after, after the boosters. So this is where we're getting 163% excess deaths in, in 2021 uh, as reported by VARS, but we're seeing that number significantly higher if they're only reporting approximately 1%, which is based on the, uh, the Brigham study. Uh, my factor is you would have to take that number and times it by 20. If you're talking to other scientists, they may say times it by 40, which which is basically saying that the injuries and deaths that are being reported only represents a fraction mm -hmm. of what's happening in the real world. Yeah, that's what we're hearing. Wow. So so <laughs> I, I've never been a fan, and, and and I guess you could say I've been prejudiced in a way, because my father pre-programmed me not to trust doctors, medical doctors. 
Uh, we never had any insurance, you know, health insurance. I've never been in a hospital other than the day that I was born. And uh, I've never been vaccinated, you know, because we just didn't believe in that science. And my father, who I went through World War II, saw enough injury from the inoculations that he said, no, I'm, I'm opting out of this. So, so I had kind of a pre-program to this particular nature, but I'll tell you what was the tipping point for me. It was in 1983 uh, when my nephew was diagnosed with HIV and I begged my sister, do not put Todd on AZT. Well, six months later, he was dead. Because she did put him on AZT. He took the AZT. Mm-hmm. I don't think she ever got over that. Uh, and I said, this is a poison. It's been taken off the shelf. It was used for chemotherapy. Everyone that took it died. No one's died from HIV. They died from the treatments. They died from the injections. Uh, right. uh, particularly is, since this is exactly yeah. this is exactly uh, what uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits is saying as well, and she's been around. I mean, she's been there right from the start in the early 1980s. I think she was 20 or 21 years old, as a as a lab technician, and she has had personal interactions with all the people you mentioned, Fauci and Gallo. And by the way, Fauci doesn't share the Nobel Prize with uh, Luc Montagnier. No, no, uh, was, Fauci doesn't. Uh, Bob Gallo shares so, it. With no, Luke no, Montagnier. he did. I'm sorry. Sorry, I, I misspoke. I, Gallo doesn't. He claimed that he found it. He later uh, decided he better not um, follow up on this because he didn't find it. It was Luc Montagnier who found it. He, he's, he got the Nobel Prize for it. And Gallo also claimed that um, the that he um, he found um, discovered uh, the uh, retroviruses, which are dangerous for uh, humans like HIV. Turns out he didn't. It was uh, Judy's mentor, Dr. Frank Rossetti, who did that. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, surprise yeah, you, does that, it? <laughs> no, no, that doesn't. That doesn't surprise me at all. I, uh, I, I know the arguments, and and based on I, I've never been able to isolate and purify any virus, mm-hmm. and 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 use it in any sort of study where we've used that particular isolation to reinfect a. A perfectly asymptomatic or or healthy person. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Viruses are not contagious. Viruses are not the cause of disease. This is an ancient old uh, thing uh, that's going back, you know, thousands of years using chemical concoctions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here now they've they've combined that with radio waves, microwaves, uh, pulsating microwaves at let's say for 4G, 2.4 gigahertz is the same frequency that your microwave and microwave and microwave oven uh, oscillates the, the molecules within food. So when you're talking about 4G exposure and the increase in various elements, cancer, what have you, I would tie that more to radiation poisoning, radiation chemical poisoning with the inoculation. It's kind of a one-two punch, you know, you know, if if we're really trying to reduce the surplus population or if we're trying to transfer assets or if we're trying to put in a technology, a biosensor technology, which will end bank accounts, will end credit cards and literally, you know, have a, a, a digital system, uh, wireless system where the actual human actually contains this 
this uh, nanotechnology is being connected up to 4G, now 5G, which operates at 8.4 gigahertz. But they they're using this also as a directed energy weapon. And the directed energy weapon, uh, when it's being emitted, you know, they have portable uh, units, but they also can remit these 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 uh, frequencies uh, anywhere from 8.4 gigahertz and up. At 41.3 gigahertz, you've lost control of your body at 4.1. Excuse me. I misstated. 41.3. At forty at forty one point three, there is a quantum link between the source. What is the source? Your cell phone, your computer, your trans, uh, your cell tower, that that uh, satellite. You know that once that they you've lost control of your body at forty one point three. At sixty gigahertz, it's game over. It literally sucks all the oxygen out of the cell. So this is something that I'm very, very concerned about because the companies that are technology companies that are saying that this technology is safe and effective are in cahoots with those who are producing the vaccines to make those connections uh, in order to do whatever they want, mind control, body control, population control, uh, our new banking system, uh, you know, debits and credits through Wi-Fi that involves specific technology that has been implemented and is here today. And that's why with deep emotion, heartfelt emotion that I fear for those who received this technology unbeknownst to themselves who now have IP address of which the Microsoft company owns the patent for this. You can look it up for keeping track for whoever their bosses are, CIA, FBI, et cetera, et cetera for tracking, contact trace, tracing the entire human race, period. I have a question. Do you see options to get that stuff out of the system? I, I do, I, I do. There is, you know, I, I always think about both sides of this. You know, there's one side to identify it scientifically. There's another side to be able to deal with this. now. If you're doing something to explode it or break it up, all you're doing is creating a bigger problem. You're creating collateral damage. So you have to have something that it will react to electromagnetically. It's something that's inert but carries a surface charge that will chelate this. And so what I have suggested and what I see work as far as cleaning up the micron and nano particulates that are showing up in the blood. And this has nothing to do with the parasites. That's a totally separate issue. Mm 
But if you look at my picture on the right, these spike proteins are endogenously created. And they're not specific. They're only specific to the toxicity of the environment in which they live. If you look at this corona effect, which is happening to the blood, and the spike protein, these are natural aging processes that take place, okay, as the cell is crenating, as, as it's disorganizing, the corona effect happens. It's not an infection, it's an outfectious condition. So what you have to do is you have to protect the membranes of the cell. And you protect the main membranes of the cell by supporting the stomach. Now that's an interesting comment because that takes you down a whole different road. And the reason I'm saying this is because the stomach is the major organ and at the front line of immunity. Its major purpose is to produce a compound of potassium or sodium bicarbonate based on the available electrolytes in the blood. It will draw water, it will draw potassium, it will draw sodium, and it will combine that with excess carbon dioxide to make a compound of NaHCO3, which is sodium bicarbonate. That's the key to stopping this in combination to chelating with a natural compound of a specific clay that comes from France, from a city that is called Montmorillon, and the clay is called Montmorillonite clay, to be able to adsorb and absorb and, or chelate to grab, that's what it means, to grab, chelate, to grab and to take into its body, which it can take up to 100 times its own mass, and then protect the cell membranes as the body then, as you open up the channels of elimination, as you improve circulation, can remove this through urination, defecation, perspiration, respiration, and for women, which is really important, through menstruation because their reproductive organs are under attack. Okay? This needs to be understood by women. They once again are being targeted. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. This is generally a target. And it's in the Pfizer release documents. The only way they can drive that material there is using mRNA. That's the carrier. They can use DNA, doesn't matter. DNA is a little more toxic. They can use RNA or DNA to drive the lipid nanoparticulates to these places that I've stated. To chelate it, clay, to restore the alkaline design of the fluids, to protect the cell membranes from creating spike protein, from creating the corona effect. That is baking soda, folks. They used it in 1918 in the Spanish flu epidemic. Those who survived the Spanish flu epidemic were taking arm and hammer baking soda at five grams in a glass of water two or three times, actually three times a day. I've read what they did. I understand what they did. I understand why they did it. 
I understand why we need to do this. It can't be patented. It can't be controlled by big harma. It can be distributed freely. Even if you don't have a source, taking Alka-Seltzer or even better gold Alka-Seltzer would be something, but baking soda is a common compound that any pharmacy would have, any chemist would have. And your body creates it every second, every minute, every week, every month, every year of your life. And you can measure that. You can measure the con concentrations. That's a measurement that needs to be done of sodium bicarbonate, potassium bicarbonate in the vascular fluids and in the interstitial fluids. We do both, even in the intracellular fluids. And the ratio, if you understand how extreme this is, it takes 20 parts of a pH of 8.4, which is sodium bicarbonate, which is the same pH of the ocean, except it's now down to 8.04. And we're in the danger zone because of all the waste that we're dumping there. But the stomach and the ideal pH for producing stem cells in the crypts of the small intestine is 8.4. The interstitial fluid is 8.4. It, it is the dumping ground for the blood, the dumping ground of the cells, and the compound, which cannot be controlled, cannot be patented, which is safe and effective. And I've seen it in over 96% in a study that I did of over 380 stage one, stage two, stage three cancer patients, a 96% reversal rate using baking soda. Terminal cancer, 81%. In a study of over 75 to 80, actually 80 stage one terminal cancers. And I have the people and the numbers and the published research because I published that paper in 2015, The Cure for Cancer. So the cure for cancer is quite simple. The cure for VADES, vaccine injury, is dirt, clay, specialized clay, and baking soda. It's called, it's called, it's called, and, and, and yes, I put together, you know, and helped other companies put together, you know, products like this, you know, and if, if someone's saying, well, where do I get this stuff? I, I'm not here to self-promote any particular product. All I'm telling you is I don't know where else to tell you. But a product called Four Salts, it's spelled P-H-O-U-R, salts, contains four of these compounds. You know where Montmorillion, you can look it up, Montmorillonite clay. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look, you can Google a lot of this stuff. You know where to get baking soda. I told you about Alka-Seltzer. You know, I don't necessarily re recommend it because the, the adjuvants and the excipients in that I don't agree with. But I do agree with the basic compound that they're using. Robert, can you um, can you email us these papers, uh, the papers that you published, so that we can uh, read them up and then make them available to our viewers? Well, that's that's what I would love to do, and I will do it. And the reason why I do it, I'll, I will do it, is because I want everyone to be empowered to take on for themselves to really become sovereign in their medical care. To really become sovereign, to be able to take care of themselves and to have the knowledge to do that. So 
you know, I've written 70 books. I've published over 3,000 articles. You know, I gave uh, to your associate several of these documents, and mm -hmm. I just, I just emailed me. There needs to be some corrections, mm -hmm. but I just emailed him the PDF file for this article that I'm just showing you now that was just published on July 26. Mm -hmm. I sent him also uh, information on the interstitial fluids. If you want to go and learn more, drrobertyoung.com forward slash blog will help you. I have 363 articles there where you can get in depth. I'm happy to provide this information at no charge. And the reason I can do that is because I own the I own the copyrights to it. Okay, great. I we really appreciate this, Robert. Um, we this is a handful. <laughs> this is a handful. We're going to have to um, do a lot of research in order to be able to confirm the things that you're saying. But you know, the thing is, Dr. Judy Mikovits and others have told me similar. Uh, or given me similar information. So I, um, I'm quite confident that we will be able to confirm everything, but we have to do that before we uh, tell oh, our I, viewers. I would, expect, mm. I would expect nothing less from you, Reiner. I would expect nothing less from anyone to be confirmed this, but I, I want you to know that, that this vaccine does, provides zero immunity, that there are no yeah. new diseases. There is no new virus. That, that I have the hard evidence and documentation using scientific equipment of which, which I have to say proudly that I was trained in in Essen, Germany by Dr. Marie Blucker, MD, at the Enderlin Institute, who was a protege of Dr. Gunther Enderlin. And as far as pleomorphism, and I don't know if we have time just to show people the documentation of a red blood cell transforming into an anthrax bacteria. We may need another you, session for that because there's there's uh, another um, guest waiting in the wings, so to speak. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share. I, I feel your concern for humanity, and I, I congratulate you on all your efforts and everything that you're doing, and and this committee that you've set up. You know, I'm happy to return at at uh, your call. Uh, and, and share in additional information and, and the hard science about this. Uh, and I think this discussion it, it can be good. It can be productive. I don't have all the answers, but I have the curiosity mm -hmm. to get the answers. And uh, so because of that, I guess people say that I'm intelligent. But the only thing that makes me different than anybody else is my, my curiosity. So I, I, I want to have answers to my questions, just like you do. So I respect that. I expect it. I, I, I'm grateful for it. Thank you for all that you're doing, all that you're sharing. And uh, I'm going to be making this information available uh, however or whenever you're ready to receive it. Great. Well, let's do, it, let's do it through Corvin. And I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. We really appreciate the time and the effort and uh, we'll we'll be in touch. I think we're going to need another hour or so to talk with you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, ho I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I think this is just the beginning of something I do to awaken humanity. Yeah. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to do this or any other forum mm. that I can speak at because 
This is not about me. This is not about, this is about all of us and what yeah. is happening to humanity, what is happening to our planet. And it's not just earthlings, it's also animals are affected by this. And we, I am shocked by the videotapes of birds that are being exposed to 5G radiation and directed energy weapons. And one of the things you ought to know about is that I wrote a very, uh, I, I would say detailed article on the Havana effect and directed energy weapons. And I would love for you to, to view what, what uh, that uh, Russia and China and US and their capabilities and now going to be fighting over space uh, we're, we're, we're into not just earth wars, we're into space wars. I know. Uh, Captain so it, it's it, told us so please send us the materials because I would love to go I through them. And I know everyone else does too. Great. Well, Hey, if you don't have something, you need something. If I have it, you'll get it. Thank you. Super. Thanks. So Robert, much. we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you so all right, much. All the best. And have a great weekend. Thank yeah. Thank you. Take care. Bye -bye. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, Vivian, yeah. kannst du kurz übernehmen? Ich muss mal eben einem Taxifahrer Bescheid sagen. I got to tell my taxi driver to wait. So now we, we are going to um, stick to English and we're going to turn to our next uh, um, guests. It's actually a set of guests. It's uh, three. So we have uh, with us um, Robert Zibis, who is the owner of Oval Media, the company who actually does the um, broadcasting of the Ausschuss uh, of our Corona investigative sessions and um, his uh, colleague from um, Italy, uh, Natalie uh, um, Signorini. She runs the um, Italian branch of the, the company. And also we have um, a senator from the, um, from the uh, parliament um, in Rome. And the reason why we are gathering today is because um, Oval Media has been deleted from YouTube all of a sudden without any strikes beforehand. So it's it's actually it seems to be like a new um, uh, process of, of intense censorship going on. And uh, maybe, uh, Robert, um, could you maybe give us some more details? Yeah. Yeah, we got stolen 200,000 contacts because this is the main loss we have. The YouTube, in fact, um, has a system of subscribe subscription. However, um, we as content producers, we don't know who's subscribing our channels. So um, it, has, it has a kind of monopoly um, and still a lot of people, even though who like to think and to criticize what is happening or to have a broader point of view to everything that is happening are on YouTube. I myself watch videos on YouTube and I'm a bit angry with myself doing so because I know that the system in itself is unfair because as I told you, um, the information is with the platform and not with the users and not with the content producers. It's, it's, and here we now see um, how brutal this can be. How, but what you just said is quite interesting. In fact, YouTube did not follow his own procedure. Um, did, YouTube did not follow his own guidelines because um, they couldn't um, say what reason uh, we they had for killing, um, deleting our channels. In addition to this, they didn't follow their own procedure, which is 
they give one strike and hinder you from uploading a video for a week and then there's a second strike and you cannot upload for a couple of weeks and then um, the third strike can de make them delete your channel. Um, in fact, three of the four channels had no strike at all and had no warning at all. And, um, and all four channels, which correspond in fact to the language versions of our content, um, have been deleted in the same minute. So we lost our audiences on YouTube in France, in, in Belgium and all other French-speaking territories. And of course, the ones who listen to us in English, German and Italian. So, and the good, I'm quite proud that we who started as a German company have a following in all other countries today. And, and, and um, because this is what my personal aim is. My personal aim is to say, look, we have a propaganda which is very one-sided, which divides the world in black and white, as Senator Granato taught, uh, put it uh, in a speech. Um, and then we have to be international to have different stories told, because when we stick to the national opposition, we cannot uh, give a counterway. We cannot be um, part of a multipolar media world. This is why I, I thought it's really important to publish in other languages. And I'm very proud to have here Natalie Signorini, with whom I created uh, together the company in Italy. And she is responsible for the content we publish in Italian. Um, she is a producer and partly moderator of the Narrative show, um, which most of the audience might also know in German and French. Yeah, um, so um, uh, Natalie um, Signorini, could you maybe give us a little bit of the background you were also, or like um, what, what has been the reaction? We also have uh, with us the Senator uh, Granato, Bianca Laura Granato from, from uh, the, the Senate. So maybe what, what uh, um, Natalie, Natalie, first, uh, so what is your take on the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, but of course, we have been surprised and a bit shocked by this, even if we uh, knew that sooner or later it would happen. That's why we started uh, a couple of months ago to invite our audience to shift, to move from YouTube to our site that uh, is oval.media. And now I start to <laughs> repeat it in every every minute to to, <laughs> to reach to join more people possible. Um, so uh, we had this one year in this in this last year we uh, made uh, narrative and other because we lost narrative but we lost also collateral that is a tv series we lost commentary we lost monopoly so we uh, youtube deleted a lot of things so um, the reaction of the people is really warm in this moment we received uh, i'm receiving many 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 messages texts for solidarity and and i'm very grateful to the senator granato she 
um, she talked about Oval Media in the Senate of the Republic uh, yesterday. So um, we should share this video, shouldn't we? Yeah, we have it. Can we watch it now? Grazie, Presidente. Oval Media è una piattaforma europea dedita alla circolazione di informazioni e materiali documentali fondamentali per l'esercizio della democrazia nel nostro Paese. Può essere paragonata a una Wikileaks europea. È per questo che YouTube ha deciso di colpo ieri pomeriggio di bloccarne la diffusione sui suoi canali. In Italia, nonostante continuiamo a pagarla, siamo stati privati di una TV di Stato che faccia informazione libera e plurale. Noi parlamentari del gruppo CAL veniamo puntualmente esclusi da ogni spazio della TV di Stato, dove trovano posto la narrazione governativa che soffoca ogni dibattito pubblico su temi di attualità o l'opposizione controllata. Le tribune politiche sono state sostituite da talk show a carattere moralistico. Si opera mediaticamente sempre nell'ottica di una contrapposizione manichea tra bene e male, giusto e sbagliato, buoni e cattivi, senza alcuna contestualizzazione né storica, né politica, né scientifica, né sociale. La narrazione ufficiale è buona per definizione, tutto il resto è fake news. Wow. Yeah, so, um, uh... Um, Sen Senator Granato, could you um, maybe like why did you? I mean, has this happened in in Italy before? Like, I mean, did you did you notice this with other um, alternative channels? Or is this the only thing? Is so has it been? Is it a a what you call this like a like a scheme going on? Do you see that, or is this the first time, and that's why you got so upset about it? I think you're mute. Yeah. You have, you are, you have to. Eccomi. I speak in English or in Italian? You can. <laughs> I can. I, yeah, I can translate if not. You, if, if you can translate, I prefer to speak in Italian. In Italian. No worries, I do it. Okay, thank you. Um, eh, sì, è successo anche in altri casi. Uh, ovviamente qui si tratta di piattaforme internazionali che sono completamente deregolamentate, eh, sono piattaforme social che comunque garantiscono un'interazione fra più persone e quindi eh, anche vengono utilizzate in politica e per divulgare informazioni che sui canali mainstream non trovano posto. È successo anche alla europarlamentare Donato di essere eh, di, di trovare la propria pagina Facebook cancellata. Eh, anche a me è capitato di ricevere numerose segnalazioni e numerosi miei post eh, dirette eh, o contributi eh, informativi di informazione sono stati eh, cancellati senza una motivazione contestualizzata. Un secondo. Yes. I, so in fact, yes, this happened in other cases. Um, we are seeing here completely, completely unregulated platforms doing whatever they wish to. And in fact, other politicians have been censored too. Um, there's the case of the member of the parliament, Donato, Yes. Mrs. Donato, Donato. And, and also um, 
Mrs. Granato has been censored. She had warnings and um, posts can cancelled and other things. So alternative voices are shut down in Italy too regularly, and this is why, of course, this resonates with her experience. Well, yeah, I, I know may that's... I add one thing that I think it's very important. Um, maybe we should remind that in two months we will have the elections in Italy. So the 25th of September is uh, the day of the elections. And you can imagine how important it is now to block uh, for the, the, the main parties to block every every voice that is against. Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, that's especially intense. And also as a politician, you're not allowed um, to voice your opinion if you've mm -hmm. been yourself deleted from Facebook, uh, as I understand. Sì. Uh, noi siamo in qualche modo controllati da uh, alcune agenzie che fanno fact checking eh, pagate dallo Stato e che eh, appunto da quando è, è scoppiata la pandemia eh, ricevono contributi eh, statali, fondi statali, per eh, censurare eh, col pretesto di eh, fake news eh, tutta l'informazione eh, che esce fuori dalla narrazione eh, governativa e quindi eh, molte volte il termine di riferimento per ciò che è fake e per ciò che non lo è è eh, ciò che pubblicano queste stesse agenzie eh, e quindi non studi eh, scientifici eh, o altro eh, ma semplicemente ciò che pubblicano queste stesse agenzie quindi quello che avviene in Italia eh, dove la censura è vietata dalla Costituzione è eh, gravissimo e adesso con l'approssimarsi dell'election ehm, dell day appunto eh, del 25 settembre eh, è molto probabile che vedremo, ne vedremo delle belle perché già siamo stati ehm, siamo boicottati noi che siamo eh, partiti neoformazioni che ci siamo costituite durante questa fase di uh, diciamo eh, da, da quando è iniziata la fase pandemica fino ad oggi e che quindi siamo fuori dal Parlamento eh, ci troviamo a dover affrontare una, un percorso accidentato per poterci presentare in Parlamento ora non sto a specificare quindi raccolta firme mh, ne, proprio eh, nel cuore di agosto quando eh, ci sono so, tutti sono in ferie e quindi è difficile trovare dei cittadini nei collegi elettorali da poter, eh, per poter raccogliere le firme eh, insomma, siamo stati, siamo ostacolati in ogni modo possibile. Yes, we have been controlled by agencies, in fact, which um, do the so-called fact-checking, and this is paid by the state. Um, with the pandemic, this all started to be on a big scale in Italy. They got money from the state, and every story that was side to the main narrative in fact got cancelled or um, discredited so in fact there are no scientific studies and uh, which um, 
which show that what she would say might be wrong. Um, but in fact, it is a political will. Interestingly, in Italy, as in most Western countries, the censorship is prohibited in the constitution. So um, now is a very difficult time because people are in vacation. It's difficult to find um, um, people who distribute the information about censorship. So, um, so it's uh, and also to collect, also to collect the signatures that each party needs to apply to to run for the elections. Oh yes, exactly. So this is why um, it's uh, it's difficult that the election is in two months' time and that this critical time is rightly in the vacation time. Yes. So um, I know that you. Uh, why do you think that happened now? Because it's. I mean, it, maybe it happens because of the. There's no one watching right now. But it seems also that. I mean, you've been uh, voicing. Uh, um, you know, like uh, critical opinion for a while. Is this now only because of elections? I mean, in Germany, we don't have an election coming up, but it's like it's been like a um, sort of an international approach to to silence over media, basically. And I know that you've been uh, like, for instance, this interview with Professor Trito in in um, in Italy, uh, that was uh, that really went viral. So I mean, maybe there's a, a special reason why it's at this point not so nice to have um, over media voicing their opinion in, in Italy. But why why do you think this happens on a on a international scale now at this moment in time? Eh, io ritengo, sì, ho capito, sì, sì. Eh, penso che questo stia avvenendo perché a livello internazionale, siccome è in atto una sorta di golpe internazionale, non si voglia dare eh, spazio a eh, soggetti accreditati che abbiano delle argomentazioni scientifiche eh, insomma, di peso per poter dimostrare ehm, la falsità della narrazione, delle narrazioni che si stanno facendo sia sulla pandemia che su, altri, eh, su altre eh, situazioni che sono, si sono state create ad arte e che quindi sono state pianificate come la guerra per esempio eh, in Ucraina. Eh, sostanzialmente siccome canali come Oval Media hanno sempre eh, dato spazio e voce a eh, persone eh, di alto profilo scientifico, intellettuale, um, insomma, eh, politico, persone insomma, che hanno oh, delle competenze che possono in qualche modo eh, avere un grande peso sull'opinione pubblica, una grande influenza, allora queste voci sono silenziate e quindi tutto quello che è la narrazione governativa viene trasferito nei salotti televisivi dove eh, si eh, armano dei talk show che sono eh, basati su una contrapposizione di opinioni che non sono supportate da alcuna argomentazione, da alcuna argomentazione né storica né scientifica di alcun genere ma che tendono a sollecitare attraverso l'emotività 
ehm, in qualche modo eh, una partecipazione favorevole e quindi una condivisione della narrazione governativa. Quindi eh, chiaramente fuorviando completamente eh, quelli che sono eh, cioè i cittadini che ehm, si stanno disabituando anche a ragionare, a, ad approfondire i temi e quindi eh, io ho denunciato anche il danno che sta facendo la televisione di Stato eh, che noi paghiamo con le nostre tasse in Italia in particolare che eh, non dà spazio a un dibattito argomentato e eh, serio eh, eh, diciamo con ehm, delle voci autorevoli nel, nei campi nel campo scientifico oppure ehm, insomma geopolitico e quant'altro bensì eh, appunto si ehm, cerca di si adopera per trasferire in maniera eh, propagandistica quella narrazione e per renderla credibile con ogni mezzo ehm, suggestionando eh, il pubblico e, chiaramente chi fa invece il lavoro di controinformazione di informazione vera eh, disturba questa opera eh, di propaganda perché siamo cioè ci stiamo avviando verso una Channels like Oval Media have given space to people with high political level and also high intellectual level. So these people might have a big influence on people. And this contradicts completely the government's approach because state information is given through television and there is no real argumentation, there's no scientific proceeding in understanding how the world works, but um, but it's more just a distribution of the main narrative. It's in fact only propaganda which helps to manipulate the population. So they don't want people to think really and they don't want people to go deep into themes. Um, and oh, okay. because the real information is disturbing propaganda. So this is the main message of the senator. I like the term op opera di, di propaganda. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good. That's what we're actually watching, like on stage, live unfolding. Um, uh, Robert, I have a question. Like you had a, a, a or like there's a law case pending, or like um, do you know that you have, and it was very interesting. It was also against um, YouTube, but it was for a strike or like a, a, a documentary yes. that you made taken down. And the interesting part is that uh, I think YouTube in the beginning didn't give any explanation, and then they came up with a very surprising part of the the film uh, made to be, do you know the. The, uh, the problematic um, 
prolog in which also Viviane Fischer is appearing, but also Rainer and others, and which has been directed by the Nathalie Signorini and also I myself and one of the co-directors. And it's a film, in fact, which have, has seen a lot of success in, in the internet on YouTube after it has been deleted by Vimeo. So we, for two weeks we've been on YouTube and then it got deleted after a couple of hundred thousand people, nearly a million saw it there. And in fact, uh, they didn't give a reason. We um, sued YouTube um, and the first step they won in the fast proceeding. Then we went back and insisted and we, it seemed that we would win, but at the end, the judge decided for YouTube. And the reason they gave is that the head of the Austrian, um, how would I say, epidemic center, it's, uh, it's the Anthony Fauci of Austria, who was director of the institution called Argus. Um, he said, in fact, that studies show that masks make no sense in this epidemic. And and they they said this is wrong. You can this is false information. This is why it should be deleted because the head of the similar institute in Germany says the opposite. So so what we have is not only that science give our film um, the 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 puts our film to the right side, but even the person we interviewed is in fact an official person of the Austrian government saying something, and this has been the reason why our whole documentary has been deleted one and a half years ago and still is not online anymore. So I think we have to contest this, but unfortunately legal procedures are so slow that this is not really helping. What we need is that this information is out there for everybody right now. Wow, it's really amazing. I mean, it's if well, I mean, say you include include uh, Lothar Villa in in the um, or like or, um, yeah, saying that there shouldn't be any um, autopsies because the um, the these uh, that people is people dying of, of or dead because they had corona are so infective and you had that in a in a, a video and then you got killed. The video is taken down because of that. It's a similar kind of thing. I mean, where's the Where's the border of like that you can cite someone with a statement they actually made, and uh, you know what's what is then what becomes false information is is like a it's a very confusing time and uh, so I mean definitely this has to be a problem I, mean, I guess counted it, in court I think in a way it's good because it shows to everybody that the only reason why these videos are deleted from these monopolistic platforms is that the point of view is disturbing and they cannot give any specific reason. And the argumentation is so, has so many holes that I hope that the crowd who sees the power structure working is going bigger and bigger because this is what I think. If censorship is seen, in fact, it is a boomerang. It goes back, it will kill the censor. Censorship only works if people don't see it, if people don't even notice something has deleted. So this is why I'm very grateful that the committee is here talking about it, because I think everybody should talk a lot about it. The more it's talked about it, um, the, the, the stronger um, the light will shine into this darkness. And this is why I'm also extremely grateful to the senator to reveal putting this up. Uh, in fact, it's quite 
nice that you also referred to the very disturbing case of Julian Assange. Um, I interviewed his father ten, uh, two, some weeks ago, two weeks ago, and, um, and it's also one of the videos which has been, have been deleted by YouTube. Yeah, it's very interesting. It seems to be all connected. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing case. I think we should, um, we need to continue. We're going to watch what's going on. And, but I think it also has to be, um, uh, you know, uh, approached in court. I see, like, I mean, there should be, since they didn't comply with their own regulations, there should be good chances, chances of winning the case. And uh, definitely we have to continue exposing these kind of things that, uh, yeah. you know, are so de destructive for the uh, open debates that we need in a, well, what we used to think is a democracy. Is yeah, there any statements you would like to make in addition? Um, Go ahead. I would like just to say that another thing that we should, should do is to make pressure on our to talk to people but then try who can to make pressure on other governments because we are uh, giving our i mean this power that that uh, youtube google and so on they have we we gave to them <laughs> so uh and, and and we didn't realize it clearly so now they have an enormous power they are not national they are not European, they are extra national, extra continental. So we, we, we cannot go on like that. So we have to, each country has to, has to regulate in some way this problem. And, 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 and this happens not only in information, but in all fields of our life because it because we don't decide anymore about foreign politics we don't decide about health system we don't decide anything there is something bigger than us but this bigger than our country yeah i mean the thing is that there are these uh counter monopolist uh, regulations in each country and also on the European level. And I mean, this state just would need to be applied, but they are not. And uh, it seems that the state is really using these private entities in order to do the censorship that they're not allowed to do as, as a governmental entity. Senator, would you like to make some closing statements? Beh, io penso che abbiamo un bel lavoro davanti perché eh, ritengo che la sfida sia proprio quella di eh, eh, sottrarre a queste eh, piattaforme oppure obbligare queste piattaforme a eh, rispettare le eh, leggi eh, vigenti all'interno dei vari stati eh, o perlomeno ecco eh, e quindi non a non eh, esercitare oppure a dover dar conto delle proprie azioni e a risponderne in eh, giudizio quindi che poi si possa eh, si possano impugnare queste queste azioni purtroppo eh, io penso che queste azioni che loro fanno siano impugnabili però poi non ci sono uh, delle leggi che coprono um, eh, insomma eh, questi profili di legalità a livello internazionale e quindi eh, è un vero problema eh, 
perché eh, chiaramente dovrebbero esistere delle vetrine pubbliche eh, nelle quali tutti i siti che sono di informazione ehm, come, come Oval Media e che eh, insomma possono in qualche modo dare un contributo ehm, anche nella, nel, nello sviluppo del, delle idee, nella diffusione delle informazioni eh, devono essere mh, e devono essere garantite da, dai, dai, dagli stati, ecco, dai vari eh, paesi che eh, giustamente devono garantire pluralismo di informazione. Eh, il nostro paese in teoria dovrebbe eh, offrire queste garanzie, in realtà opera esattamente nella direzione opposta perché c'è un'agenda appunto globale che in qualche modo ehm, sta eh, intercettando eh, tutte, le, eh, tutte le voci, le informazioni che eh, possono essere in controtendenza rispetto a, che, a quelli che sono i programmi eh, che eh, appunto ehm, queste elite eh, appunto globa globaliste hanno concepito eh, per, eh, per tutti a partire dal mondo occidentale e, e quindi in qualche modo gli stati eh, si devono tutelare attraverso altre forme ma eh, già basterebbe anche eh, una voce libera della televisione pubblica pagata con i soldi pubblici e che a questo dovrebbe servire quindi è che purtroppo questo è un compito eh, che non assolve. Yes, the senator is saying there's much work to do. The challenge is to force the platforms to respect the laws in the various states. They have to report on what they're doing and um, the senator is thinking this is illegal. The law is quite difficult to apply because of the international transnational aspect to this uh, corporations. So she thinks that the state has the obligation to guarantee the diversity. But the general evolution is going the other way. They steal all information, uh, all content, which is going against the globalist elite. And, and the state is in fact, you know, the, the helper. So the state has to act. And she would say, as a first step, the obvious thing would be that public television is doing what they're supposed to do, giving um, voice to various point of views, giving the voice to diversity. Um, I personally would like to add something. Yes. <laughs> I think what we have here is that, in fact, the public structures like public television or the government are in fact instrumentalized by the big corporations and vice versa. I think it's going both ways. So we, you cannot even distinguish between what YouTube is saying and what the state is saying. You cannot distinguish between what, you know, Rai is in Italy is saying or ZDF in Germany is saying. It's all like it's the same thing. And, you, and this re response to what Karl Marx is saying, you know, if a company is so big that it has a monopoly, then the company has a state-like status. And the digital companies from China and the United States have a state-like status. And we have to acknowledge this. And, and, if, and this is, there's no wonder that they're teaming up 
you know, that it's not like the state should control the gov the, the corporations and, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing in a way. And because it's extra national, as Natalie pointed out so well, we have no grip over it. We cannot control it as a citizen. So, so what we need is um, to stop building the prison because uh, when we use these platforms, we make them stronger because they're getting stronger the more it's used. Because we give content, we watch content, you know, this gives them advertisement revenues, but this gives them also information about us. And this information, as you know, is sold to other corporations. This information is sold to the secret agencies of these governments. So whatever we do on these platforms is giving them more power. So in fact, I, in a way, should have bad conscience that we published anything on these platforms. But on the same time, I say, we have to spread the word. You know, it's like we go into the system to change it or, you know, to, to, to destroy at least the way it's working right now. It's like making a political party with the aim to change the system of political parties. You know, it's um, so, so this is how I explain it to myself, but I'm, I'm not that clear. So I think we have this twofold strategy. We will, of course, take legal steps to go against these monopolies and their arbitrary decisions, which even do not um, do contradict the, the constitutions of most Western government, but also contradict their own proceedings. But also we will build parallel structures will, which will mean that we stop building the prison, but we will build our own house. So the more we use our own house, the bigger it will be. Because we cannot allow that the general infrastructure of our society is owned by some few rich people. This is, I think, the crime of which we are all, in fact, complice, you know, of all we are yes. part of it. And um, so, so because we, the, the, the many who use these platforms, we, in fact, are, we are the strong ones. Because without us, they are nothing. You know, the rich are rich because we give them the place. You know, we just have to take the space we want to have and then, you know, then the problem is solved. We just have to stop building our own prison. If not, we lose our freedom. And as, you know, um, Mr. Brown pointed out earlier in the session, the cost of controlling us is lowering the more we use these digital platforms. So what we need is to diversify the platforms. What we need mm. is strong, different platforms, because then the con cost of control is that high that it might be an option to a bit, be a bit more democratic as we are now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is true. The um, uh, Well, to some extent, I, I, I oppose the term of that we're complicit in this thing, because I mean, you know, when we started watching YouTube and also like during the, the course of even the last two years, um, it's not that we um, agreed to uh, to push this kind of system, but not because we it, it was not we could not expect that it was so well rotten, like at, at its core, and that there was so much uh, other things going on, like a political agenda. I think no one would have expected this, like even like two years ago, even like maybe a year ago. But now that we see that there's uh, tons of problems with these platforms and they're being used in order to, to stop uh, descending voices, I think it's maybe also really a good point to, to, to vote with the feet 
and uh, go in other directions. So I think we should really like just what Wolfgang always says, uh, try to build our own. I mean, in this case, they cannot be really regional because the internet is uh, is global. But I think we need to have different structures. And so I think that's why it's important also to go to the roots and to um, to maybe then check out what what um, the Ausschuss, the uh, you know Corona Investigative Committee on the on our own website and also open media on their website what we publish and i think it's uh, so we have to really disconnect and and cut the greedy middleman that's basically sitting there and is not only like uh, taking the revenue but is also like uh, managing who gets to say what well thanks so much for this uh, information i'm glad um, that you are taking steps in order to fight this and senator it's uh, I, I think it's great that you spoke out in this uh, situation because it's really a threat to democracy what's going on thanks so much grazie grazie a voi thank you so much you too thanks a lot so um, uh, Rainer unfortunately had to leave um, because he had to uh, catch a train. There seems to be a lot of uh, things going on with the trains at the moment. Um, and he uh, maybe that's another, I don't know, maybe it's just coincidence or another problem that's going to come up that we're going to have like less support from the train system in the future. Who knows? Um, yeah, so I'm going to switch to German. Um, vielen Dank fürs Zuschauen heute. Um, ich denke, es war eine... Thank you very much for watching today. I think it was a very exciting and fruitful session that we had. Uh, we will look up the things that uh, Dr. Young told us. Um, I'm convinced there are many ways uh, of taking care of one's health, different from what uh, we've been told so far and what we've seen so far. Things are quite different from the way things used to be in the past. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a very important session. We can only do this work if we get support from our viewers. And thank you very much for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all next week. And uh, please uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, relax, have a great Friday afternoon. And I think we still have a few clips and then we are through for today. Thank you. The third leading cause of death in the United States, and I'm sure most of us could figure it's either heart related or cancer or uh, uh, diabetes, things like that. Can you clue us into what that is and why? Uh, yeah, okay, thank you for asking that because this is the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room that nobody's talking about. The third leading cause of death, as published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, is MD-directed treatments. This means you go to a medical doctor, an MD, he gives you a treatment and you die from it. According to the United States Department of Health and Human Services, 15,000, 15,000 Medicare patients a month are killed by MD treatment, and nobody goes to jail. A handful of terrorists fly two planes into the <coughs> Twin Towers. 3,500 people die, and we go to war. 
but 15,000 people a month are killed by medical doctor treatments, and we don't bat an eyelash. This is because we have been, I don't want to say brainwashed, that's not the correct term, but we have been, for the last hundred years, um, kind of led into this false belief, you know, I think it was Marcus Welby that started it, that the medical doctor is king and knows everything about everything. And really, you need to just shut up and follow your medical doctor's advice. Most people in the United States have no idea at all of the history of the evolution of medicine in the United States. In the early 1900s, it was a relatively level playing field between the chiropractors, the osteopaths, the homeopaths, and the MDs. In 1915, 1920, there was something called the Flexner Report. The Carnegie Corporation funded this man named Abraham Flexner. He went all around the country, and he went on stagecoach and train and horseback. This was before the interstate highway system, right? took Flexner five years to do this. He went all around the country and did an inventory of all of the medical schools that prescribed drugs. He brought the list back to the Carnegie's, who owned drug companies, and then the Carnegie's and the Rockefellers gave millions of dollars of free money to the medical schools and hospitals in the United States that were prescribing drugs. That was the beginning of the end. After the Flexner Report, there was no more level playing field in the United States. And the MDs started a juggernaut that's taken off. Most people in the United States think that the predominant medicine here, MD-directed pharmaceutical medicine, we think that those guys are top dog because their therapeutics are better than the homeopaths or the naturopaths or the chiropractors. It's not. They're in the driver's seat because of political and financial coalitions that were built at the turn of the century that most people have no idea of at all. And it's a gigantic problem. And I, I mean, it's crazy, right? It's the third leading cause of death. And yet, when the government makes noise about messing with people's insurance, Everybody freaks out. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other thing to talk about, isn't it? Because what is medical insurance? When you buy medical insurance, what are you doing? You're betting that you're going to get so sick, you will not be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Right. And then, so you pay good money every month to gain access to a system of medicine that's the third leading cause of death in the United States. We need our heads examined, quite frankly. That's why we give, Dr. Wallach and myself collectively, we give 400 free lectures a year. And we're building a grassroots network because people don't know this. I mean, people I come to my lectures and they look at me and say, couch potatoes live longer, medical doctors are the third leading cause of death. You know, what's going on here? We're like, we're like the people, uh, you know, in Galileo's time saying, hey, everybody, you know, it's the sun that's at the center of the solar system, not the earth. Well, hey, everybody, the earth is round, it's not flat. Or, hey, everybody, slavery's a bad thing. Right? This is, uh, we're, we have a social agenda here.
Why do we have a social agenda? Because people are suffering needlessly. You wouldn't believe. As God is my witness, you would not believe the things that I've seen people recover from in holistic medicine. It's, the body's ability to fix itself is remarkable. And most of the mm. time, all that the body needs to do that is the raw materials that it needs to do that. And we need to stop eating food that's hurting the body. You know, if you put diesel fuel in an unleaded engine, even if it's a brand new Ferrari, it's going to run like crap if it runs at all. There's nothing wrong with the car. It just had the wrong fuel. Mm. It's the same with the human body. You give the human body the raw materials that it needs, clean up the diet, Superman, Superwoman. And, you know, if you don't get to super status, then at least your blood pressure normalizes, at least your arthritis goes away, at least your anxiety and panic attacks go away, and you can sleep through the night. On this channel, just the other day, Tony Fauci, no less than Tony Fauci, admitted in public that actually we have no idea what effect the COVID vaccines might have on women's fertility, on their menstrual cycles. Wait a second! Remember when suggesting that could get you bounced off of Twitter and Facebook as a conspiracy theorist? Well, it turns out it's true. Here's Tony Fauci. There's been a, yeah. a number of studies. New York yeah. Times just did one about um, sure. menstruating cycles and how that is affected by vaccines. Yeah, though, well, the menstrual thing uh, is, is something that seems to be quite transient and, and temporary. That's the point. That's one of the points. We need to study it more. Oh, we need to study it more. <laughs> we need to study it more. It's just like human fertility, reproducing the species, the most important event in most people's lives. We need to study it more. Oh, but it's too late. We just forced millions of women to take that drug. Sorry. So how did they release a vaccine and then make it mandatory when they didn't understand the long-term effects of the drug? That's a very good question. Here's Deborah Burks. She's the former White House COVID response director, again on Fox News. I knew these vaccines were not gonna protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines and it made people then worry that it's not gonna protect against severe disease and hospitalization. It will, but let's be very clear. 50% of the people who died from the Omicron surge were older, vaccinated. What? Stop the pre quote. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. Really, Deborah Burks. But somehow you forgot to mention that as people were being fired from their jobs for not taking this on the premise that if they took it, they would never be infected. When do you get criminally charged? Soon, we hope. And then there's the effect of the COVID vaccines on the elderly, the population most at risk. According to The Lancet, no less than vaccinated people around Joe Biden's age are 80% more likely to become sick after taking the COVID shot as compared to unvaccinated people. Wait, what? 80% more likely to become sick after taking the shot that was supposed to prevent them from getting sick? How is this not the banner headline? It's being ignored. 
Well, as one scientist wrote in the Journal of Virology, quote, the study showed that immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine was lower than that among the unvaccinated individuals. So it's not just that your natural antibodies were more powerful than the vaccine. We've known that for a long time, though they lied about it. Turns out the vaccine appears to depress your immune system. This has massive implications, not just for COVID. There are all kinds of horrible diseases you can get with the suppressed immune system. The Journal of Food and Chemical Toxicology found the same thing. Quote, vaccination induces a profound impairment in type 1 interferon signaling, which has diverse adverse consequences to human health. What the hell? And yet these people are on TV blithely admitting, oh, well, we should do more study on that after we forced it on the entire American population, on billions of people globally. And this might explain how Joe Biden got COVID after getting every available shot and telling us just a year ago that vaccines conferred total immunity. The various shots that people are getting now cover that. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. So one of the responses to this is great sadness, of course, because even people who didn't vote for Joe Biden believed his administration when they said this, because they were acting in the name of science. People were afraid of COVID, in some cases with great justification. Some people were at risk of dying from COVID. And they reached out and accepted this drug on the promise, told to them repeatedly that it would save them. And you know, Deborah Birx says, well, I knew it didn't really work. So the question is, why is no one being held accountable? Why is the party that promised to hold Big Pharma accountable ignoring this? They're not saying a single word about any of these lies from the pharmaceutical industry, which is making billions. Thank you for joining us at Marianne and the Professor. We're joined by uh, Dr. Uh, Jeff Matheson, who is an ER physician from Ontario. He's worked in Oakville. He's worked at most of the hospitals in the Toronto area, and he is now residing in uh, Mexico. So Jeff, thank you for joining me today for a quick chat. Thank you. So I just wanted to ask you your opinion on things. I've been hearing about deaths in Ontario with physicians. Tell us what you know. Uh, well, I think that, um... Uh, most of the physicians have, uh, have believed uh, and got uh, the jab, and um, there's been quite a few deaths cropping up. So, um, uh, which is unusual because you know doctors dying in big numbers is not uh, it's not a, a usual event. There's not that many of us. <laughs> yeah. Did you know the ER doctor who um, died running this week from the yeah. York Hospital? Yeah, I knew I knew of him and run into him at conferences and stuff. But uh, yeah, and he and he was a very fit uh, former Olympic athlete. And just suddenly dies at age fifty, well out for his normal jog. It's um, you know, and and it's very telling that no autopsy was done, and and so they didn't really definitively put up the cause of death or anything. But you know, it's 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 highly suspicious, anyways. But mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if you if you believe the narrative. Yeah, it's fine, I guess, but. So when you, when you speak to your physician friends, now that you're back visiting in Toronto, are, are you noticing any more of them are open to dialogue? Are they beginning to question the narrative? Are you noticing a shift? 
they're, they're certainly not they're not going to submit to any more any more boosters i don't think that's for sure a lot of them are are dead set against it um they have noticed that uh, there's a lot of serious younger seriously injured people coming into the emergency rooms and i've noticed since i've been downtown toronto sirens are constant here there's constant sirens and i was able to actually track some data from bc where it, I looked at the number of shots given per month versus 911 calls, and there was pretty much an exact correlation. So, so you know, and then you've got, you know, uh, 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 it was, I think it's Gert Vandenbosch who thinks that, you know, we're going to be seeing lots and lots of problems crop up over the, you know, between now and 2024. Um, and I, and I uh, you know, I think I see signs of it, right? I mean, I, I was literally just at a friend's place and a young girl, you know, was behind me and she made the comment that she's recovering from a stroke. And I just said, you know, I've worked at Emerge for 18 years and never saw anyone your age have a stroke. Just, just did not, does not happen. Right. And so, you know, you gotta, when you see these things on a, on a daily basis, it's certainly, uh, I don't know, reality, reality is, is starting to come up. And I think people are starting to recognize that there's something very wrong going on. Yes. I sense that too in Vancouver, people are um, willing to engage in a conversation in the fact that perhaps there are some side effects happening here with the mm -hmm. vaccine and perhaps okay. deaths or new conditions that people have might just be caused by the vaccine. Whereas a year ago, people were in complete denial. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So do you think the newer, uh, the boosters are more dangerous or do you think we're seeing a cumulative effect? Well, it's probably a bit of both, uh, right? The, um, uh, I think I saw an interview with, um, I believe it was McCullough who talks about the multi-dose vials and the stability of the, of the product. So whether you get a fresh vial or an already opened vial, that may uh, um, uh, affect the potency of it, whether, you know, you get damaged limit nanoparticles or damaged our mRNA, whatever, from it sitting too long in the vial. And then, of course, there was the original, when these things first came out, the European Medical Agency, uh, there was emails going back and forth, which showed uh, that they found a 58% variation in lot numbers. So, but it does look like the majority of the uh, uh, damage is being done by about 20% of the lot numbers. Um, and so you're just playing, you're playing Russian roulette. Yeah, yeah. So what's your forecast for this fall and winter? What what do you see as coming down the pipe? Because well, you pull things quite accurately in the past. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly the mask mandates uh, seen, I mean, Los Angeles has already announced they're going to start making kids wear masks in school as of July 19th or something, and with absolutely no science behind it. Um, and they're going to, um, they're going to, uh, it looks like it's coming again. I mean, they're talking, they've already got the rhetoric stirring up here uh, about people should be wearing masks all the time and should be laughing down again and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, man, oh man, you know, it's like, uh, we tried that once already. It, uh, it was a, a catastrophe. It was, you know, people lost everything and they're gonna do it again. Yeah, and I, I think, sorry, I. I just, I thought I had a guest. <laughs> I just sure. thought I'd check. Um, I feel as though this winter though, they might use the technique of the climate crisis. Yes, you know? hear that it's a very interesting. I just saw um, a comparison of a 2010 uh, weather forecast, a 2019 mm -hmm. weather forecast, and a 2022 weather forecast. And it's like the, they all had 
similar temperatures, except the 2010 was actually hotter temperatures of the map. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. actual map they used was green in 2010 and a lot of red in 2019. And in 2022, it's all red and yellow, like completely yeah. red and yellow. And it's like, and the temp but the temperatures are actually lower than they were in 2010. Yeah. It's yeah. like this. This is part of this. Like it's all the use of colors, and you know, I, I, I'm reading uh, Matthias Desmet's, uh, you know, the uh, totalitarian book, totalitarianism book, and. Uh, and he talks about the, you know, the, the whole hypnosis and use of colors and and messaging and stuff like that mm -hmm. to control populations. This is all, you know, once you see it, mm -hmm. you, you 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 can recognize it right away. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the trick is how do you snap people out of this psychosis? Yeah, well, it, 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 from the from the studies that have been done, about thirty percent of the people will never snap out of it, mm -hmm. and the, the and the, I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of damage being done. Um, because you know, the, this is the same tactics that were used by Stalin and Hitler, and they didn't end well for anybody. I mean, Stalin killed 55 million of his own people, that's pretty astounding. I mean, it's and it, and if you look at uh, Trudeau, he's gone, I mean, he's completely um psychotic, right? I mean, look, look at his look and his haircut and everything, he's totally bought into the narrative, mm -hmm. he really believes it, and he, he, that's the type of guy that will cause um cause this country to go down to you know i mean people don't want to face this it can never happen again but history shows it happens repeatedly yeah. and we're laying the exact conditions for it to happen again never thought i'd see it in my own country no i uh, me as well i feel as though trudeau has very little support but somehow he remains in power i don't know yeah. how he got in office no one likes him it's no, very familiar well there's no there's no other leader to choose from right i mean the uh, Pierre Polyev is running for service, but he won't get a chance to 2025. And of course, the um, uh, the Canadian Party um, uh, got what five percent of the vote, something like that, which is which is good. But you know, and then look what happened in England, right? Boris Johnson quits, and the and the two people are proposed to replace them are both World Economic Forum um, uh, members. Yeah, they're right on the website. It's like, okay, really? That what kind what kind of change do you think you're really going to have there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you trust Pierre? I have a feeling he's another puppet. Well, he's he's he at least he's talking the, the right game and he wants to uh, he he knows his stuff. He does know his uh economics and, and money policy and stuff like that, which Trudeau clearly does not. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. I agree. I saw him challenging Matt Carney one day, or Mark Carney, and uh it was delicious to watch because he was challenging yeah. Mark on the the idea that Mark has shut down the oil and gas sector in Canada and yet has um, 11, I think it was $11 billion invested in a fund in Brazil in the oil and gas sector. So they have hypocrisy. Sure. Well, sure. They're all, they're all, they're all lying in their own pockets, yeah. right? I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's fairly obvious, but uh, uh, anyways, it's a very, uh, very strange uh, world going on here right now. Very I, mean, strange. I, I, do, I do know that, I do know that a Canadian was killed in Mexico uh what about three weeks ago mm -hmm. and uh he kept he apparently kept a website uh, up that was uh, calling out um uh politicians uh, uh malfeasance and i guess he did called out the wrong people so they, they killed him and his girlfriend so just a minute he was calling out canadian politicians yeah canadian politicians and he was knocked off in mexico yeah oh <laughs> so Very being outside scary. the country perhaps is not helpful yes. well isn't going to provide any security. Yeah. Very but, scary stuff. 
Very scary stuff. These guys are playing for keeps, right? Yeah. So when people talk about just COVID as being, it's all about COVID, how do you kind of uh, segue into a conversation on the bigger picture? Because that's something I find quite challenging. When I'm chatting with people and they just want to talk about COVID, I try to enlighten them on the fact that this is a, a bigger agenda. But have you yeah. found a, a, a tactic that's quite successful? Uh, no, I can just sort of mention it. And if they're open to it, then, uh, then a lot of them will say, oh my God, someone I can talk to. Right, because a lot of people have these beliefs in the in the background. If it, you'll get a sense right away, if someone doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to bring it up, then you're just like you don't don't bring it up because you're not going to educate them. Some people just aren't open to it, and you have to know who you can and can't talk to. So, mm -hmm. you know, you you know, I learned that the hard way. That you know, you think you can trust people, and then you talk to them, and then the first thing they do is report you to somebody. It's like, okay, well, that's you know, I'm just trying to educate you. Know, everything I said was absolutely true all valid points it's all backed up all but it didn't matter it's it's in the public domain it, it's no. not necessary to go for much no. of a deep dive it's it's very no, no. Like a, like agenda very, agenda 2030 very, is all over yeah. the un website yeah they're all, they're, uh, if you read very, it they're very, like they're mm -hmm. very open about it now so it's like, like they they announce things they're out they, they you can go on the world electro forum website it's all laid out for the three there they show you what they've accomplished already. They, they, you know, Klaus Schwab says he has half the government of uh, Canadian government in his pocket, so he doesn't have to worry. And he's very proud of that fact and brags about it. And it's like, uh, and then you know, an MPP, an MP tries to ask a question about that, and they completely just ignored it. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's it's so obvious, right? And it's like uh, I don't know how much more obvious they can be. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the way it is. Um, one last question. What what are the injuries that you're seeing most commonly in in Ontario, or what are you hearing the doctors talk about? It's neurological uh, injuries. I find predominantly neurological. That's yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, uh, I do. My friends, our friends now who uh, you watch them and they they've got obvious ticks now they didn't have before, and of course all the strokes and all that sort of stuff. But neurological is the number one, and of course the and I. I, I, as soon as I heard what that was in the vaccine, I, I, I found the paper from Quebec, a research paper said the lipid nanoparticle they're using is the best way to get stuff into the brain. And it's like, holy crap, like who, why would you put a vet, uh, something in someone's body that's targeting the brain for an inflammatory reaction? Mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's insanity, right? And that's like, the, and that's what they're using. And you're going, you know, they're trying to tell us it stays in the arm. I said, but, but that, that technology targets their brain specifically. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, astounding. It's, a, it's very, uh, very sophisticated technology. Mm -hmm. They know yeah. what they're doing. This, oh, is sure no, they this is no accident. Very yeah. interesting. So neurological, that is exactly yeah. um, what I'm hearing from frontline people here. Huge uptick as well in things like dementia. Yeah. Um, huge up, you know, confusion, brain fog and headaches and um, okay. I guess brain bleeds. There, there's all sorts of strange things oh, happening. All sorts of strange and also an, it, no capacity to have a conversation. Uh, no, that's true. They're, 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 they're very, um, they're, you know, and I, I know that Sherry Tenpenny brought this up early on about the temporal, um, frontal temporal dementia that she was worried about. And that, that takes away the people's ability to speak and make intelligent conversation as well as they become quite aggressive. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really interesting when she was talking about that, the CDC, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but they put up 
uh, uh, how to deal with a zombie apocalypse. And it's like, wait a minute, frontotemporal dementia, that kind of looks like zombies. <laughs> Can't talk and very aggressive, right? Very interesting. And, 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 no, and no empathy. No empathy. No, no, no empathy. No. And this is this part of uh, Matthias Desmet's book, which I'm just reading now. I'm only about halfway through it. But he talks about the the how the how the crowd mentality. There is no, there's no empathy. It's like, and they and they feel it's their duty to persecute you as much as they can. Mm -hmm. And then and this is what I find, right? That some people when they don't agree with the crowd mentality, they they don't have any. They they and this is what happened in Russia and stuff in the in the 30s. There's no empathy. They would just arrest people randomly in the street and send them the gulag to die, and for no reason other than they wanted to keep up the stats. They had to generate statistics. And it's just a, you know, I mean, I'm reminded of what Stalin said, you know, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic, right? And that's- So are you, uh, all things considered, are you hopeful or do you feel as though we have to drop a lot further before there's a mass awakening here? Um, I'm hopeful that people are starting to wake up and 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 get some of the information, but I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm worried that uh, that before the ship turns around, it's going to be going to be a lot of deaths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lot are of you deaths. are you also worried about food security uh, this winter yeah. and, oh, yeah. and access remember. access to petrol or access to oil yeah. and gas? That's um, right. I have yeah. a I have a sense that there could be some hardships this coming winter in terms of not only a lot of death and illness, but a lot a shortage of food, shortage yeah. of aid. Oh yeah, I mean look, I mean look at look at all the big push in England right now to get people to eat crickets and and maggots and things like that. It's like oh my god, like yeah. they they're just pushing this and just shoving it down your throat and they're and you know the Netherlands. Why isn't the mainstream news covering the Netherlands where they want to just expropriate 30 to 50 percent of the farms and kill all the animals? Uh, you know, Netherlands is the second biggest food exporter in, in Europe. Yeah. And not know? not one thing on mainstream media. It's no, remarkable. Nothing. Remarkable. That's right. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll let you go. I know that I you're racing out the door, but um, thank you for thank you for your time. And right. I always enjoy chatting with you. So we'll chat. We'll chat again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Dr. Thanks. Jeff Matheson. Right. Bye bye. Bye. Mr. Kenny is not a scientist. I am. He's the CEO of the Weather Channel now. I was the founder of the Weather Channel, not the co-founder. And I'm glad you did because I am addicted to the Weather Channel. I watch a lot I'm of cable now. news. Hold on just well, a minute. I'm not done. And CNN has taken a very strong position on global warming that is that it is a consensus well there is no consensus in science science isn't a vote science is about facts and if you get down to the hard cold facts uh, there's no question about it climate change is not happening there is no significant man-made global warming now there hasn't been any in the past and there's no reason to expect any in the future there's a whole lot of baloney and yes, it is. It has become a big political point of the Democratic Party and part of their platform. And I regret it's become political instead of scientific. But the science is on my side. I don't think we're going to come to a conclusion about the topic right here. What I do wonder well, I know though, we're is when not, you see because you wouldn't the... allow it to happen on CNN. 
But I'm happy well, that I got on the air and got a chance to talk to your, uh, to your viewers. Hello, everybody. What there I is do, no global warming. What I do wonder is when you see the government, when you see NASA, when you see other institutions say that 97% of climate scientists agree, do you think they're making it up? I, I, what I don't understand is how you well, square that. Well, that's a manipulated that. figure, and let me explain it to you. Uh, the the uh, government puts out about $2.5 billion directly for climate research every year. It only gives that money to scientists who will produce scientific results that support the global warming hypothesis of the Democrat Party of position. So they don't have any choice. If you're going to get the money, you've got to support their position. Therefore, 97% of the scientific reports published support global warming. Why? Because those are the ones the government pays for, and that's where the money is. It's real simple, but that doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't make it true. That only makes it bought and paid for. The money goes in circles. I'm not a scientist. So I'm not going to try to refute you Boy, on that's the facts. The truth. So I'll simply so say that the vast majority... Please stand back from this, from this issue and let the two sides be on the air.